This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. And, uh, you know, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's make it another great week. Of course, um, so much to talk about today because it's Monday. We'll be talking with our Washington insider, Joe in the know. Joe Cannon will be just updating us, giving us um, some insight into what's happening in uh, D.C., if you can make any sense of it. And can we just agree this week that we no longer keep counting President Trump's days? I mean, that first hundred days took forever. So let's not count anymore. It's just not counted. But what about all the great things that he's done? No, no, let's do that. That's fine. Count the great things he's done. But let's not attribute it, you know, to time frames or days anymore. Or this is going to feel like, you know, forever. Just just now let's just let him just have a normal year. I'm not trying to start anything here. (laughs) Yeah. Now for the next hundred days. Let's not do that. This year will take forever. Uh, welcome to the program. We are going to be getting to Joe Cannon, where we'll talk everything from um, tax plan, the, the new release of the tax plan. Apparently, the government is in okay hands because uh, we don't need to – it's not going to um, have a shutdown. They've postponed it. They've kicked that ball down the court. And um, we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get to all that fun. Plus, of course, um, some, some of the latest, greatest updates. We're tending my, my granddaughter. And uh, it was a beautiful experience. Last night, she slept perfectly through the entire night. You punk. Uh, No, a little Benadryl (laughs) just put her right to sleep. No, it was so great. She just went to sleep. But here's the dilemma. Now she's going to go to the other grandparents' house, and I'm afraid she'll then struggle for a night or two there. Then they'll finally get it down. Then they'll bring her back to us, and then she'll struggle for a night or two. So what's the best approach? How old is she again? She's 18 months. So... You are spoiling her rotten, aren't you? So that yes. when she goes to the other grandparents' yeah. house... Oh, but they'll spoil her rotten, too. She's It's very good. And she got to talk to her parents last night via FaceTime, which is confusing for an 18-month-old. Like, why are you calling me from London? Yeah. That kind of experience. While, by the way, um, and I got to go to the prison last night. Were these two stories connected? No, not okay. at all. Okay. Do you have some public debt to pay? or No, just... Oh. Visiting friend. No, um, I just – Outstanding parking I love it. tickets. It's my greatest thing is I get to go I, – I thought I was doing it a lot more. My, my wife said, I don't think you're doing it as much as you think you're doing it because I kept thinking I was doing it about every four or five months. But about it's, – it's about – it's been a year, but then it's usually about every six months. So you I go sort to the of prison, hang out with the, my friends at the inf- prison. Inflated the rate at which you do good deeds is what you're saying. Um, In your own mind, you're much better yeah, person. But than I don't you even think are. of it as a good deed because oh. I love doing it. It's the it's my favorite thing to do. So I but I thought I was doing it more. So now we've now we have to make sure we do it that much. I think you're kind of in denial. Some people call it volunteer work, mm-hmm. just like you do. Yeah. Other people call it uh, doing time. Yeah. I just call it visiting my friends. <laughs> okay. Is it one of these sentences where you have to just spend some time there on the weekend? They have those. Oh, well, I mean, no. How much garbage have you picked up? Yeah. Well, I, an they did jumpsuit. give me an orange jumpsuit mm-hmm. and a little poker to pick up garbage. But I like doing it. 
Very, very freeing. Those pokers are fun. I'll give you that. They are very That's kind fun. of like an adult fidget toy. <laughs> yeah. Or a con- convict fidget, fidget toy. toy. Speaking of, we had a teacher tweet at us. Yeah. Saying that the fidget toys. Do they hate them? Are something the teachers just hate. All the students have them. They're just distractions in classes. Kids do not need a toy to, to deal with nervous energy. They They've, just need to focus. Kids have been fidgeting for years. That's a great point from our teachers out there. Kids have been fidgeting for years. So why give them a toy to fidget? It's just another thing to distract them in class. I used to just spin a pencil or a pen. Because then all of a sudden, like, man, that guy's really gifted. Mm. He can spin a pen. I used to think, hey, I'm going to spin a pen and go all the way through law school spinning a pen. Then I thought, hey, I'll be a judge. That's been, I'll be the spin pen, judge spinning pen judge guy. Wouldn't you spin your gavel? I would spin my gavel. <laughs> you did the wrong thing, though. You really ought to chew on a pencil because then people think you're constantly in deep thought. Or they think you have like an iron deficiency. Or yeah. what is it that Not makes you Not sideways. Chew? I'm just talking about the end and then mm. just kind of like look up to the sky. People think you're in deep thought. Hmm. That's a great. That's a great. I, you know what? I need, to, I need to have a producer. That could produce my life, my pen, my pensive thoughts. Oh well, we'll get to all that fun. Hey, let's first do the headlines, though. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? We should be paying attention. To. Parts of the Midwest and South are recovering this morning after a weekend round of storm, wind, hail, and isolated tornadoes killed at least fourteen people. At a ch- uh, what? At a chance remain for more severe weather in the South coming today. Parts of the Florida Panhandle, Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi could be affected by. Severe thunderstorms, according to the National Weather Service. Tornadoes hit several small towns in East Texas, killing four people. National Weather Service found evidence of four tornadoes. One, a twister possibly on the ground for 50 miles. Uh, Flooding and wind killing five people in Arkansas, including a fire chief who was struck by a vehicle while working during the storm. Storms rolled through Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama Sunday. Strong winds causing isolated pockets of damage. San Diego police shot and killed a man reportedly to have suddenly opened fire at a poolside birthday party in an upscale apartment complex Sunday, hitting seven adults. The suspect, later identified as Peter Sellis, 49, was a resident of the La Jolla uh, Crossroads complex, where police say he opened fire on the group with a semi-automatic pistol. He was... uh, the shooter was white. All the victims were a people of color, four black women, two black men, and a Latino. Mm. Authorities say no motive was known, so they're not sure if it's racial or just kind of a crime of opportunity. But late Sunday, at least one victim was dead while others were in surgery or in critical condition. They're continuing to investigate. Employers can legally pay women less than men for the same work based on differences in the workers' previous salaries. A federal appeals court ruled Thursday. The decision by the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals overturned a lower court ruling Thursday that said pay differences based exclusively on prior salaries were discriminatory under the Federal Equal Pay Act. That's because women's earlier salaries are likely to be lower than men's because of gender bias, U.S. Magistrate Judge Michael Singh said in a 2015 decision. Three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit cited a 1982 ruling by the court that said employers could use previous salary information as long as they applied it reasonably and had a business policy that justify it. As you can probably Hmm. imagine, the ruling is going to be appealed. Well, but I mean, it makes sense, except it isn't fair, right? Because if women have been at home... And then all of a sudden they come out, they're going to have less of a history. Right. But, I, but w- wouldn't you base salary on work experience? Well, yeah, you, you'd think so. Yeah. Or, yeah. So there's the court case. Yeah. So someone's got to figure that out. Huh. I mean, wouldn't you rather have a surgeon that's, wouldn't you pay a surgeon more that's been doing it for 15 years than one that just barely came out and has hardly done any? Right. 
I mean, it just seems like, yeah, you, you know, experience pays. So there seems there might be a logical situation where that matters. <clears throat> there also might be. Well, maybe abuse. there's certain jobs it doesn't matter, right? Like right. a widget, putting a widget. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter if you've put 5,000 widgets in or five widgets in. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Sad. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and finally, an athletic club in England is offering a class in napper size. Yes, Where participants uh, do nothing but sleep on single beds for 45 minutes. Yeah. The fitness chain is targeting exhausted parents for the hour-long class. It aims to re- re- reinvigorate the mind, improve moods, and even burn the odd calorie. You know, because you burn calories when you sleep. Do you? Yeah, apparently. It's a scam. Uh, it begins and ends with a series of stretching exercises. Because you, yeah, I have to stretch before you sleep, Matt. Do you stretch before you sleep? No. Got to get your hammies limber so you can you really enjoy the slumber. Really? Uh, it says, if the trial proves successful, the company said it may roll the idea out across England. Uh, according to our research, 86% of parents admit to regularly suffering from fatigue, which is alarmingly high when you consider the important role of getting a good night's sleep can play in our overall mental and physical and the well-being the I totally agree. said in their press release. We're always looking for new ways to tackle the issue that every uh, everyday families face, which is why Napersize sets out to do, the statement added. Instructors will play atmospheric music and drop the room's temperature during the class to allow for the proper <laughs> No, why do they need this to be a class? Because uh, everything's a class. You go to spin class, you go to yoga, so, you, you know, Napersize. So what do you do when your husband gets up from – a long sleep, gets his, you know, yoga pants on, goes to the gym, mm. and then signs up for the sleep class. Just, what do you mean? And then leaves the sleep class yeah. and then comes home and needs a break because he's done nothing but work out all morning. Right. Do you break a sweat? Depends on the sleep. My son does. Does he? Yeah. He's a wet sleeper. It's gross. You walk in, he's he's soaking wet because he covers up with all his blankets and his pillows and his stuffed animals, and then just sits there and heats <laughs> up and turns into a sweat ball. It's gross. Wow, boy, that's a class I could do though. Yeah, napper size. Napper size. I don't think you need to stretch out before. They, I, you do need to stretch it. out after for sure. Oh, after the nap? Yeah. Yeah. When you wake up and you're like, Ugh. yeah, yeah. Ah. Hey, Ryan Seacrest, Seacrest has a new job. Yeah, I saw that. He needs it, right? He only has like five other jobs. Uh, he will now join live as Kelly Ripa's co-host. So live with Kelly and Ryan, I guess, is what we're calling it. Is that what we call it? But why does he – he's now got to go to New York, right? Well, sure, but he'll do anything for – Filthy lucre. His filthy lucre because he can do his radio show anywhere. Yeah. And then – He's got to let it go. He's just going to He's got to calm else. down. Why? But he's he's wanted. It's taken a long time for her to find a co-host. That's the yeah. perception that he's wanted. Well, well, no, she wanted him to replace Michael Strahan. No, I just mean in general, that the general public want him. I think that's a perception. No, are you kidding? He, he's, he replaced Dick Clark, for heaven's sakes. Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. That Nobody was... can replace Dick Clark. It's true. Seacrest, by the way, maybe it's because his syndicated show is on iHeartRadio. Which is dying. Which is struggling. Right. So maybe he's like, okay, I need another job. Now he's Kelly's, you know, television partner. An American Idol was canceled. Ah, see, that's it. They're Mm. dropping like flies. See, I think he has something to do with all these shows being canceled. No, he was just on them. 
They, they just ran their course. And iHeart might be running into a wall. But, you know, there's 800 stations. They'll just sell them off and other people will run them because there's, there's stations that are profitable. Oh, yeah. You're not, yeah, not going to get rid of all of them. And he, his show makes a lot of money. Well, the neat thing is now the TV fans get to see him every day. And he's got a lot of friends. Right. He's a very popular guy. You can tell. He does the red carpet. Mm. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I'm supposed to talk to uh, Joe today about the Dodgers. The Jazz made it through, by the way, in basketball. Whew. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I believe that applause is Thank for you. the Jazz. Oh, I thought they were cheering that I said that. No. So now the Jazz play the Warriors, and, you know, that's pretty rough. <laughs> that might just ruin everything. And uh, I'm going to bring up the Dodgers with Joe because apparently the Dodgers had a pretty cool Saturday night. Mm. According to our Dodger fan, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. It was amazing. Did you watch it? No, I just saw the highlights. I didn't know you were In such fact, a the highlights. Fan. So they only do like a minute and a half of highlights and it didn't start until the eighth inning. Oh, so really? they picked up the action in the eighth inning. But they had a pretty killer streak. The ninth inning was pretty spectacular. Ninth inning, bottom of the ninth. Bring it back. It always questions the uh, the investment in the first three quarters of the game. Yeah. If you go to the highlights and you skip all the way to the end to show you what happened. Yeah. You're like, well, many I, say, I understand the buildup, but it's like, well. Many say that's why baseball's struggling. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a long game and there might only be one or two innings that were worth highlighting. Even basketball, you can tune, turn in and what the... Third inning or third inning, third quarter. Yeah, and if it's close, you watch. If it's a blowout, you're like, I knew it. You I know. We did days. start watching the game last night at the fourth quarter. There you go. Really? Actually, it was in the afternoon. Yeah, it's fourth quarter game. All right, uh, we're going to get Joe in here. Be talking politics. Buckle your seatbelts, folks. Uh, the next one thousand days, let's just say, of Donald Trump. No more. Are we counting the days? It's just too much. We'll take a break. Be back with Joe Cannon. Joe in the know, our Washington Insider, up next. Welcome back, friends. You know, it's that time. It's Monday morning, which means we like to call our friend Joe Cannon. Uh, Joe in the know, we call him, to, to give us an update, a rundown on what's going on back in D.C., any insider scoop he has, or even just to crack the code uh, to better understand what's happening politically. Joe, it was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party in Utah and also uh, was a candidate for U.S. Senate, as well as serving as an, an assistant administrator for the United States Environmental Protection Agency from 83 to 85. He was also the editor of the Deseret News and uh, is currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization that's trying to lower fuel costs for those of us in the United States, which we so deeply appreciate. Joe Cannon, thanks again for being with us. Joe, how are you? I'm good, Matt. Thanks a lot. Good to have you. You know, um, I guess we really ought to start with the most important story of the day, the Los Angeles Dodgers on Saturday night uh, coming with three consecutive homers to win the game in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah, no, yeah, I didn't hear the game, but I saw it. I saw the result. Yeah, I don't know. The Dodgers are not yet performing at, uh, you know, 
world champion status, but they're they're getting a little better the last uh, last week. You're you're are you are you going to predict anything from them this year? Well, I predicted they'll do what they have done so far, and that is they'll still win the Western Division. The question is, can they really beat you know really tough teams? Yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to predict. Yeah, why uh, why start now, huh, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I mean you've already you've already learned with Trump. Hey, how, doesn't it feel good to know that the first hundred days are done, and now what I'm suggesting to everybody is that we don't count his next hundred. <laughs> I actually, that's true. We shouldn't count the next hundred, and, and it does. I know we've said this a lot, but it, it seems like a lot longer than a hundred days. It does, and most most uh, most changes. It just slows uh, everything down. Let's just let's just let it be the rest of his term now. Is it? Um, I mean, overall, I mean, do you dare grade President Trump on his first hundred days? Well, it's you know it's. Uh, just depends on who you are. I mean, one of the things that maybe we'll talk about this some more is that uh, uh, I don't know. When I was a little boy, my mom said, "If people like, if people don't like you, you can't do anything right, and if they do like you, you can't do anything wrong." And it just—that's just how all the coverage is. That's people true. Don't like Trump, which is most people in the media, by the way. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's horrible. He's accomplished nothing. And then his partisans say, yeah, well, man, look at all the stuff he has done. Uh, I, you know, I think it's just wrong to judge presidents. And we talked about this before. The only president who really had an astonishing first 100 days is Franklin Roosevelt. And, um, and I'm not sure how I grade that. I think a lot of bad things happened in that 100 days. But the fact is, a lot of things did happen. Yeah. I mean, he- ever since then, it's been, it's been really hard to nail down to a big big things that happened in the first uh, 100 days. I mean, yeah. what, really, what really happens is uh, you get, if it's a change in parties, what you do is the first 100 days they try to undo everything or as much as they can of what the last president did, starting with Reagan, you know, trying to reverse Carter stuff. And then, you know, Bush trying to reverse Clinton stuff. Clinton started trying to, you know, uh, eliminate uh, Bush-Reagan stuff. And mm. Obama... Bush and now Trump, Obama. If you look at the first hundred days, you'll see that the very first set of executive orders already aims at undoing stuff that the previous guy did. Boy, uh, and so it really is just a. It's it's um, it's. I guess it's one thing to get your own agenda done. Like maybe that takes the, the next you know nine hundred days. But um, in the end, it, it seems like. It's it's more about just reversing. In fact, Trump has signed over thirty executive orders in his first hundred days, and many of that is just trying to. It seems like reverse Obama's legacy. Then a lot of that is. I mean, some of the very first uh, orders were. Uh, oh, he reversed what's called the Mexico policy. So, Repub- Democrat presidents want to fund, um, you know, abortion family planning services and. Republicans don't. So, you know, so he issues an order reversing President Obama's order, which reversed President Bush's executive order, Mm. all on the same subject. And they did monumental executive orders. You got to realize this that there's even a memo ordering an investigation into whether aluminum imports are hurting national security. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah. Wow. But I I don't mean to make light. There, There are some really small ones. 
but but also some very big executive orders. You know, um, the whole when you get into what has been done, he's issued three major executive orders that look at regulation and is uh, very and very seriously looking at, if not dismantling, really uh, reducing the regulatory burden. And he's been deadly serious about that. Yeah. And whether that's successful or not, that, that's to be determined. But he has that one thing that nobody else has done to this extent, and that is there's a Congressional Review Act, which actually looks at regulations adopted within a certain time period. They've done that uh, multiple times, maybe nine plus times for big regulations where, where Trump and Congress have actually gone in and said, see that regulation we're going to eliminate that and my congressional act. And that's by a majority vote. So they've been able to undo some big uh, Obama regulations. What, what, overall, they're, you know, I was just going to say, what do you think he's, um, I mean, again, he has this, this love hate relationship with the press uh, uses him when he kind of needs to, but uh, overall, do you sense the press will lighten its, uh, attacks on him over the next, you know, two or three hundred days, as we're counting by hundreds now. Um, yeah. Do you sense that that will change at all? Will the press eventually just kind of start to get how he how he's doing this, or will the pressure continue? Well, uh, although I try to be as nonpartisan as I can in your programming, the fact is, if you're a Republican. And you look at what the press, how the press treats Republican presidents versus how they treat Democrat presidents. It's pretty clear, and there are lots of objective studies on this that, that, that show that the press uh, generally favors Democratic presidents. That doesn't mean they are all in. I mean, they they have pointed out a number of things in the Obama years and in the Clinton uh, campaign. But by and large, you can count on the, the press, so to speak, to be uh, kind of reliably anti-Republican and pro-Democrat. Now, having said that, the, Trump seems like a special case, really. <laughs> I mean, he, he seems like a special case in the animosity he arouses. But also, unlike most people, who he, he, he provokes that. It's like he relishes in that. He, he knows he's going to say something, and he knows there's going to be, I mean, he knows when he says something. There's going to be a relentless attack on that, and it seems like there's there's it's calculated there that by by calculation he's antagonizing the press because whenever he does that, it reinforces his base. It re- it reinforces in his base how much the press is against his base and him. Right. So uh, it seems you know to me anyway uh, somewhat calculated. Yeah. No, and it, I think it is. It's to what degree does it's like he just pokes the press and then uses the press and then didn't go to the to the White House press um party which was interesting, right? He didn't go to the big dinner and does that is that a common thing do you sense? Or is that no, that's a, no, that's not a common thing. And I think that's uh, almost exclusively a reaction to the last years, you know, during the campaign. He was sitting there and was there as a, as a candidate and was relentlessly ridiculed, mm. just relentlessly maybe. I mean, those things are always, you know, tough on each other. You, you know, you, you can recall 
uh, in the uh, 2012 race, both Obama and Mitt Romney appeared, and they traded jabs. And, you know, they were some pretty tough jabs, but they seemed to go overboard last year against Trump, who was, again, sitting right right there. And I think he vowed at that time he was never going to go to that again. Yeah, really? And, and I've heard reports that that's true, so... So he he skips them and um, yeah he he regards them. I mean he's dead. The press is the enemy of the people. I think as a former editor, I think that's a pretty doggone harsh. But there's no question he's teed up a uh, a fight between the media and him. Absolutely, he um, he did release his tax plan, um, saying that it will uh, supercharge the economy. Others say it's just you know another way to ta- or to give a tax cut to the rich. What do you think? I mean, it was only two hundred words long. Apparently, a hundred people, a hundred days to create a two hundred word long document. Do we know yet what it means or what it includes? Um, pretty much, I didn't think there are some uh, specifics in it. But the again, just going back to what we started talking about it, uh, at the beginning, if you like tax cuts, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and if you think tax cuts are evil, then this is the worst thing uh, that you can imagine. And, you know, it's just like, uh, I don't know, I'm getting kind of tired of it's, it's how reliable it is uh, that the pundocracy, how, the, how reliable they are. You know, Democrats, you know, uh, trash it, Republicans, most, many Republicans love it, not all. But it is big. I mean, I will just say, if you look at the history of tax cuts starting in John F. Kennedy, this tax cut, somebody did this calculation, the Wall Street Journal did this calculation, that, and these are all in inflation-adjusted you know, numbers. So the Kennedy tax cut, which Republicans mostly praise, was a $91 billion tax cut. Reagan's tax cut was 102. Bush W. Bush, uh, George W. was 101. The Trump tax cut is 288. Wow. It's like it's almost equal to the last three big tax cuts. So um, not quite equal, but good close. So it's a very major in terms of overall dollars. I think no one expects it to get past the way he's suggesting. But what it does say, just to get to specifics, um, it cuts corporate taxes from 35% to 15%, which basically gets us in the in the bottom. It, it gets us competitive with uh, other uh, countries. So lots of countries have low corporate tax rates. And, and I would say, again, I, know, I can't help not being a Republican, but uh, I can't help being a Republican. I can't be not a Republican. But when people say corporate taxes, you know, you think of General Motors and Exxon and right. that sort of thing. But... This is a tax cut for 27 million small businesses. So everything that is a, a small business that pays corporate tax rates, uh, uh, pays individual rates as opposed to corporate tax rates. Anyway, this this cuts those tax rates for 27 million small businesses, which lots of people say is a big job generator. Anyway, we'll come back to that in a sec. So the personal tax cuts is, is not very massive. It goes from... 39 point, the top rate goes from 39.6 down to 35. There are just three tax rates now. I think it's 35, 25, and 10 or so. 
but one of the most interesting things that it does that hasn't happened, I don't, don't ever recall this happening, but it, it actually eliminates tax deductions. So when we, file, you and I file our taxes, we can deduct our, what we pay in state taxes in Utah hmm. from our federal taxes, and that's been there all along. So you probably would never pay much attention to that, and I don't, because Utah tax rates are pretty low. Yeah. Um, but there are some states, there are some states like Florida and Texas and some other pretty big states that have, or some smaller states that have no income tax. So those people don't get any particular deduction. But if you live in New Jersey, California, New York, where you have very high state taxes, that deduction means a lot to you. So by eliminating that, uh, the, the deduction for state taxes, you're really helping people who live in big states in states with no taxes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Often that often happen to be, by the way, red states. Yeah. But, but often. And you heard blue states. Blue states in every case, well, in virtually every case, have uh, high, where they do have an income tax, have high income taxes. So people from New York, California, New Jersey, where the state taxes are relatively higher, they get hurt uh, by this. And I can't believe that wasn't a little bit by design. Frankly. Yeah, interesting, uh, boy. I did not know that's what was. I mean, so yeah. But, but he does. He does keep the mortgage deduction and the charitable deduction. So that's okay. Good. Does um? I mean, I, I guess a lot of people are then saying, "Well, where is all this money going to come from?" Right. So I mean, right. yeah. it's 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 going to. It seems like impact impact our our bottom line as well. Right, so that depends, and we talked about this, I think, a week or two ago, The uh, whether you believe in what's called dynamic scoring or static scoring. So people who hate tax cuts will say, if a tax cut dollar for dollar comes away from revenue, therefore increasing the deficit. Um, Republicans have two answers to that. Ronald Reagan's answer was, even though he said, I don't think it's going to increase the deficit, he really didn't care, and it did increase the deficit. But the other half of what he believed is it also jump-started economic growth. Hmm. And so then you get to the people, what, uh, how Mnuchin, Secretary Mnuchin and others defend this big tax cut. Is they say, well, it's going to result in a 3% economic growth. If that were to happen, they would be right, that the, the, the revenues generated from that growth would uh, uh, easily make up for the cut, the the deficit, the cut, the cost of the cost of cutting. So what's true? I don't know. I think it's highly unlikely that we'll hit a three percent growth number, but it's probably likely that we increase our growth from from uh, where we are, which has been pretty stagnant um, in the last eight to ten years. And I'm, yeah. I'm including the Bush years in that too. So. Uh, I think what it really gets to is Republicans don't care about deficits as long as we get tax cuts, and um, and Democrats care a lot about the deficit when the Republicans want to tax, cut taxes, but they don't care a lot about the deficit when they want to increase spending. So mm. again, it's it's you see it through the prism of where you are ideologically. Right. No, exactly. Well, uh, let's uh, let's take a break, Joe, and I guess too this will, this will impact. Um, the, I mean, maybe this is why they're kicking it down the can or down the down the road, kicking the can down the road when it comes to you know government budgets. 
that need to be created so we don't shut down our government as well. Interesting. uh, Somebody's got to pay the bill. And Trump administration is doing what they can to, I guess, propose a tax cut as well as, you know, somehow we got to cut some of the budget for the states. And stick with us, folks. We're going to continue the discussion, helping you uh, see how, how you are affected by the political world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, if you're going to make the political world work, you got to understand uh, how it works, what's going on behind the scenes, even in front of the scenes. And to help us out with that is Joe Cannon. Joe Cannon is our Washington insider, we call him Joe in the Know. He is also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower your fuel costs. And all you got to do is go to fuelfreedom.org to see what they're trying to do there. Joe, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Matt. So talk about um, – it's a, it's always been, for me, a weird relationship between Chuck Schumer, uh, who's the Senate minority leader, and um, the president. They, I think they're closer than anybody thinks they are, but it seems like publicly they don't like each other anymore, even though, you know, Chuck's from New York and Trump was from New York. Uh, what What do you think about their relationship? Well, I think you're right. I think they – A, they – do know each other pretty well. B, they're both from New York City. C, historically, Trump was more of a Democrat than a Republican. Uh, D, Schumer was thought to be more of a deal maker than Harry Reid. So a lot of people had uh, uh, some optimism, uh, you know, kind of going into this. But another iron law of Washington is where you stand depends on where you sit. Hmm. And it turns out that Schumer sits as the head of the opposition party and the minority leader and uh, in a party that I think is going very far to the left, even of where Schumer is. But that's where his his base is. And so he's being pulled in that direction. Of course, Trump sits as the president of the United States, having won on a very populist, uh, conservative program. So where he sits is in the, on the, the other chair, on the opposite chair. So I think regardless of what they may feel about each other personally, uh, they, they have a job to do. Each of them has a job to do. Um, Schumer is a tough, wily guy. And, uh, and he's using all the, you know, his toolkit as best he can. So I don't think that the, personal nature of their their historic relationship is going to make very much difference because when it comes to issues they each have a each have a position and in most cases they're polar opposites do you think president trump is i mean one thing that i i do like and i don't know if it's going to happen and it can really happen is he does seem like the guy that will where President Bush almost and President Obama, neither of them seem to like the deal making. They they didn't seem to like the schmoozing and the dinners. And it seems like Trump does. 
And is, isn't that really where the deals are made? It's kind of behind closed doors. You always think of in the smoky cigar filled smoke rooms. I mean, is this where how the deals are still made or, or is that kind of old school? Well, I mean, I don't know. I've never been in a smoke-filled room like that. But I, I will say that uh, uh, most of the deals seem to be a little more public. I think well, kind of what you're getting at is with, with Trump. Just take, for example, this new budget, not budget, the spending bill. Um, they they reached an agreement like last night, basically, that uh, is going to have, you know, allow government to fund government spending through the end of September. Part of that was Trump giving up stuff that he cared a lot about. So where Mercy got one and a half billion dollars more for border security, he had a promise not to spend it on the wall, on the new wall. Right. I guess he could spend it on repairing the old wall. Um, so in this in this government spending package, uh, you know, uh, he got stuff, and they got they the they, uh, Schumer and the, and uh, Pelosi got stuff. So um, there there are I mean a whole bunch of things that they're that that whereas I think Trump decided look let's fund the government through September, which happens to coincidentally be the end of the fiscal year, and let's go back to trying to pass real budget so they don't get in this in this uh, continuing resolution land mm. that, that they're in now. And so I think what Trump decided was let's fight those battles on a budget bill by budget bill, which affect particular agencies, not the overall government. So I think there's this effort to go back to that. But getting back to your main point is, is that there's no question Trump compromised to get this, get this spending package done and, eliminate the issue of government shutdown and just get back to doing doing business do you think he's um is he going to be able to to deal with the freedom caucus in a way that um so it's not constantly dividing and turning against the gop it seems like the gop is having a hard time within their own ranks and you always talk about how there's not one gop there's three or four uh you know factions in there do you think he's going to be able to to eventually get control of that so he can do um healthcare bills and and other things yeah well that's his hardest problem uh is is this uh, you know, division within the Republican Party over some pretty big issues. There are large issues where there isn't much of a division, but boy, some issues like healthcare are really, uh, really drive a wedge between various factions on the Republican side. So the Democrats get the luxury of sitting on the side because their votes are also needed. So for a lot of these packages, you're going to need some Democrat votes as well as, you know, most of the Republican vote. So I don't, I don't honestly, I don't see that changing much. Hmm. Uh, you know, I've heard some discussion from some of the uh, Freedom Caucus folks and they're not, they're not cowed by the president. They're saying, look, our, we were sitting here to represent our constituents and they believe this and, uh, and they've agreed to stick together. And when you've got a block of 30, that can make a very big difference. Well, it does, and I can't. It does make a very big difference when it comes to voting on bills in the House. Less of an issue in the Senate because there you probably have only three or four uh, senators who are like the 
uh, House Freedom uh, Freedom Caucus. Yeah. Case. Wow, man, it's it's so. What a mess. Seriously, just to have to lead it. Uh, Reince Priebus, who's chief of staff um, at the White House, says that they're also looking at changing some libel laws that would restrict the uh, press freedom. Maybe talk about that. I mean, boy, really, yeah. is that just taking your dislike of the media even further or what's going on there? Well, tr- Trump raised this during the campaign about how he wanted to change the libel laws to be able to muzzle the press. Um, I I guess you could try to do that. Most of the libel laws, by the way, though, are court-made and go back centuries. The, the, the development of libel and slander, uh, you know, goes back to ancient times, even in, in England, and we've borrowed that English common law. So I don't see how he changes that much by legislation, and a lot of people would be resistant to that. I mean, yeah, uh, you, and, and rightly, rightly so. I mean, uh, uh, to try to insulate public, a lot of this is about insulating public figures uh, more than they already are, and making it easier to go after a public official by changing the standard a little bit. So how much malice is malice? I mean, right now, even public officials have some protection. Yeah. But, but you have to demonstrate actual malice. And I, I just don't see that changing. I think that's just some more posturing to kind of, uh, like we talked about earlier, pick a fight with the press. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to pick a fight with the press, start talking about uh, curtailing uh, libel laws and curtailing First Amendment uh, free press rights. Mm. Boy, um, talk about what, what we're missing. Is there anything out there that we should be talking about that uh, important stuff that maybe isn't on the radar of the of the national press as much? I, you know, I don't know. I, I, let me ask you a question. Have you, have you talked to a guy named Rod Dreyer, who, uh, you know, a conservative blogger, but wrote a book recently called The Benedict Option? No, I don't think so, no. Okay, okay. Well, maybe we can talk offline about that. This is, this book is getting a lot of attention in certain circles, and it's basically saying that when it comes to the Cultural Revolution, Christians have lost, and so they need to retreat more into, not, not quite monastic, but retreat into communities of faith and basically hunker down as we go into a new dark age. But Wow. Uh, Google the Benedict option. Yeah, uh, I mean that. That I think that would be interesting for your listeners uh, in a in a, a number of fronts. He mentions Mormons in the book uh, in a favorable way, but uh, anyway, he's, he's he uh, Rod Dreher, uh D R E J E R. Yeah, no, we'll look into that. Is um, I mean because I, I guess it, it's a it's a really interesting thing when you you start to see. Um, I don't know. You see the Pope's now doing TED Talks uh, to to do anything he can to, I guess, get an expansion of his his view. Um, but one of the things that I guess all of us uh, are wondering is what's going to happen with the Supreme Court, for example, when it comes to religious freedoms and and some of those things. So I wonder if I, I guess when when you look at it. As an as somebody in the know, do you do you worry about Christian uh, 
values and morality uh, kind of being thrown to the wayside and, and, and dismissed. I do. I think religious liberty is the battle of our day and, and the change in culture. I'm in, in very substantial agreement with Rod Dreher on what's happened in the, in the culture uh, of our country. We are living in and will be seen to be living in a post-Christian society. And what does that mean? Yeah. What, what does that mean for, uh, you know, for our history? I've been just interestingly reading The City of God by St. Augustine. It's a very massive book, but basically talking about the city of God versus the city of man and hmm. the, the collapse of the Roman Empire. Uh, and it's, you know, there are a lot of things in there that are very reminiscent of today. Uh so yeah, I, I think, and that goes back to you know 400 A.D. This book was written in the you know 400 A.D. talking about uh, again the collapse of the Roman Empire and what makes for the city of God, or i.e. the religious life versus the uh, pagan life. And hmm. I think we're re- we're reliving a lot of that. Uh, so it's I don't fascinating. Want to be pessimistic. I want to. I'm, I'm ultimately optimistic about how the thing ends up, but we're definitely moving into a, 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 a post-Christian, well, I believe, a post-Christian age. And that's what this book, and there have been another, a number of books on this subject uh, by, by some pretty impressive authors. That's great. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll look into those authors you suggested as well. And Joe, thank you again for your great insight, for just being there and helping us kind of sort through what's real and what's just a bunch of hype when it comes to the media sources um, and, and really in the political world. Joe Cannon is his name. Go check out his website and the work he's doing at Fuel Freedom Foundation. Fuelfreedom.org is the site. We will take a break, my friends, and come back, wrap up hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I tell you, what do you do? What do you do? It, I mean, it is kind of a crazy, it's a crazy time we live in. And more and more, whatever, the, the Christian ethic, the Christian values, you feel like are just disintegrating. I was, I've been watching some shows from the 60s, and I thought, boy, they used to drink a lot. They used to party and smoke a lot. A lot of crazy stuff going on, and then, but there was always this this ethic that you know it was going to still fall back to some Christian ethic, some Christian morale morality. I mean, you've been watching Andy Griffith again? Yeah, I have. And just you know, apple pie when you could just put your apple pie right there in the little windowsill. Nobody would take it except you know. Cletus or Gomer. Gomer. What happened to those days? So, Terry, you got some news for us, some little, national little, news. A little palate cleanser, change of topic here. There's an ice cream museum in California. Wow. Los Angeles. Wow. So the, I could do this. The world of ice cream and art colliding in a tasty new exhibit opening in California called the Museum of Ice Cream. Creators encourage visitors to taste, sniff, and play in the interactive exhibits. The museum features a banana split room with 10,000 hanging bananas, scratch-and-sniff wallpaper, mm. enormous frozen treats, even a pool of sprinkles. Mm. 
Ice cream lovers will get a chance to sample treats from local California creameries and other innovative new desserts. A scratch and sniff wall? It's open through early July. At least it's not one of those lickable walls like in Willy Wonka. Yeah, that's good. So you're not just looking at art. You're also, as it says, tasting and tasting many different flavors. Many I just, different, yeah. yeah. I just so, hope on the way out there's like a – there's a little – Some wet wipes of some kind? Well, or just some area where you could buy some ice cream from the vendors. Oh, of course. And maybe have other marketing opportunities to you. Mm, that sounds good. Let's go to L.A. Field trip. We'll take a break, folks. This is hour number one of the program. Stick with us next hour. More fun, more ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. We got a lot to get through today. Um, uh, Are you safe out there with just the person, you know, the person you're standing in line with at the Walmart? Are you safe? How about the the person driving next to you in the car next to you? If it's, if it's Matt Townsend, then no. <laughs> You're not safe. Today we're talking about most strangers are safe. Learn to spot those that are not. Maybe, you know, if 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 human if the human race is a pretty predictably safe group of people, but then we hear all these crazy stories that, you know, about the extreme weird scenario in some mall somewhere. So who are you safe with? And um, joining us to talk about that will be Wendy L. Patrick, who has written books on it and has uh, spent a career prosecuting unsafe people. And she's got a show on Netflix called Stranger Things. I think I think that's something different. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's a show for the kids where people walk into and through the walls. Into a different time continuum. Well, you got to be careful about which walls you choose to walk through. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds weird when you put it that way. Uh, So we'll be talking about safety and who are you safe to talk to, to interact with, to deal with. Plus, we'll also be talking about how to prioritize your marriage with a blogger who has a blog called A Prioritized Marriage. We're going to learn how to put marriage first. On the nose there. So it's, it's about time we learn to do this. We thought, you know, it's been many years. Huh. And we're doing did you never think about that? Oh, I did. I, oh. I kind of talk about it all the time, but it's right. doing it's the hard part. We'll get into that. Oh. You got to do it, you know? Huh. It's not enough to say you're going to do it. Oh, this is true. Now you actually got to do Don't it. Don't be all talk, right? Yeah. Talk, okay. is, talk is cheap. Gotcha. Talk is cheap. So we'll get to all that fun, plus um, some interesting insight about Sasquatch, Bigfoot. Louis Armstrong? Or was that? What was his nickname? I don't think it was Sasquatch. It's like, I'll look it up. Yeah, Louis Armstrong. Hmm. Um, plus, if you're you know if you're a guy that's going to rob a store, wouldn't it be easier to just rob the same store twice? You have experience. I mean, once you've done it, right. seems like a no brainer. Satchmo. Yeah, Satchmo's different than Sasquatch. <laughs> Very different, quite honestly. Plus, what's it going to take to win a T-shirt in Florida? Hmm. It's very simple. Just catch a python. Well, 
Okay. So if you want, if you're looking for a free T-shirt, we'll, we'll tell you how to enter that contest. Everyone loves free T-shirts. Who doesn't want a free T-shirt? It's but amazing. You do have to catch a python. You go to any sporting event; they have T-shirt cannons. Lately, yeah. they have T-shirt gatling guns. Yeah, it is pretty crazy how crazy people get over a free T-shirt. Yeah, but it's free. Yeah, and yeah, it's but- a T-shirt. Depending on where you get it, you could get a free – you get a T-shirt for like $3. Yeah, but this – all you got to do is catch a python. How hard could that be? Hmm. You know? It's just a python. It's not even on a plane. It's just a python. Like it's it, just possibly it's, hunting you while you're looking for it. Yeah. It's fun. It's kind of scary. When and that's actually out. sport because everyone's actually playing the game where I think maybe sometimes like deer hunting, it's more of a one-sided activity. But who doesn't want a free T-shirt again? If you're, whatever it takes. Right. It's free. Uh, we'll get to that fun in a minute. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country we should be paying attention to? The National Security Agency has enjoyed relatively broad authority to monitor communications among suspected terrorists and their associates, even while those people happen to be American citizens and even without a warrant. However, the New York Times reports that the NSA is stopping one of its most controversial practices, the collection of Americans' international emails or yeah, international emails and text messages that mention a foreigner under surveillance. The NSA is attempting to adhere to a 2011 ruling by the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. Of course, technology today continues to rapidly advance. Online communication has changed a lot since 2011. Today, more people are using end-to-end encryption, and email providers are offering more secure ways to communicate, potentially making it harder for the NSA to round up these messages in the first place. In 2014, Google announced it would use, uh, it's called HTTPS, which is a more secure connection, and all of its Gmail uh, products because the NSA was poking around in users' business, as it says here. So in other words, the NSA is, seems like they're saying something nice, but it might just be something that they're using for PR purposes. Go figure. The worldwide school kid fad of homemade slime is prompting concerns from parents who claim one ingredient, the cleaning product borax, may be causing severe burns to their children with prolonged exposure. Recipes for the putty-like slime, a staple of kids' science websites, tells young makers to mix water, Elmer's glue, and sodium borate, or borax, a naturally occurring Mm. mineral that can be used as a stain remover and insecticide, among other things. However, in a few publicized cases, children are reported to have suffered sex and even third-degree burns from playing with slime over several months. Google searches for slime have climbed steadily in the past 12 months. Elmer's glue cited a jump in sales in 2016 due in large part to slime mania. Still, uh, the chairman of the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, says borax is considered generally safe. The borax, that really was the best Dr. Seuss book. See, he always goes to movies. I don't know what it is. This is a book. I think they're talking about a cleanser. This is a book. In other stories, <laughs> last, last summer, Ruslan Slovesky entered the imposing Church of All Saints in a city about 1,000 miles east of Moscow. The Russian Orthodox Church holds special meaning for some because it was supposedly built on the site where the last Tsar of Russia, Nicholas II, was murdered along with his family. But Slogovsky wasn't there to worship or pay tribute to the Russian history. Instead, the blogger wandered through the gilded rooms of the church, his eyes and fingers glued to a smartphone. He was playing Pokemon Go. The blogger posted a video to YouTube showing himself playing the game in the church. Russian officials found the video. He was detained last fall, charged with inciting religious hatred. So playing Pokemon Go in a church is inciting religious hatred. Yeah. 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 On Friday, the last day of the trial, prosecutors in Russia requested a sentence of three and a half years in prison. 
Wow. That's not one of our prisons. That would be one of their prisons. Ooh, which which is really like dog different. years. Yeah, it's seven years longer than that. The 22-year-old said in a statement, I may be an idiot, but I'm, I'm no means an extremist. Because mm. he's basically labeled a religious extremist and needs to be put away. Boy. For playing Pokemon Go in a church. That's what you get. As he said, he's an idiot. But Don't disrespect the church, yo. Also, teen girls in Finland are going to going as it says here, buck wild for the sporting of, the sport of hobby horsing. Really? So you sit on a hobby horse? You got a hobby horse, which is the 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 fabric horse head on a stick. Yeah, and you ride it around like a horse. But they're 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 being very creative. They're oh wow! Using, you know all their own sort of products as they create their own and make their own. The the the, the market for such things is is driving up there. And plus, uh, there's professional rodeos. You could be a hobby horse rodeo. You know, it says some ten thousand fins, mostly between the ages of ten and eighteen, have uh, ponied up to the sport, <laughs> where <laughs> participants compete in traditional equestrian events like dressage and show jumping with toys instead of real animals. Wow! They have parades through the streets. Hobby horses. It's a big deal in Finland. Hobby horse. Uh, When when you don't have your own horse, you can just go get a hobby horse. Um, Jeff was talking about the Lorax. Yes. Not the Borax. Oh, I thought it was the Borax. Yeah, no, that's different. That's just the cleanser. I think that was the sequel. The Borax. No, I think think it was just... The Lorax meets the Borax. Boy. Um, You always think in movies. I don't know if you know that, which is actually awesome because this Friday you're going to have your own movie show. Yes, except uh, I do want to point out that I, I mentioned a book, although it was turned into a movie now that you bring it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, you, you know, I was just pitching your show and then you had to go there. And you I, can pitch it again. I was setting it up for you. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to spot the strangers you can trust versus those that are just good people. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Strangers often turn into friends, co-workers, or even life partners with just a little time. We are motivated to view others positively because of this potential for building productive relationships. Yet sensing danger should curtail your initial level of courtesy. This risk of enhance, uh, is enhanced by the reality that in most cases, we are unable to spot dangerous people merely by looking at them. Actions speak louder than words and appearances can be deceiving. So here to help us separate the harmful from the harmless is Wendy Patrick, uh, who is a career prosecutor in San Diego. She also was named the Ronald M. George Public Lawyer of the Year and recognized by her peers as one of the top 10 criminal attorneys in San Diego by the San Diego Daily Transcript. Wendy, thank you so much for your insight. And being oh, here today. Sure Thanks for having me. You bet. Talk to us about it. You you wrote a wonderful article about how most strangers are safe, and yet we've got to learn really how to spot those who aren't. How how first of all, how did you get into this this area? Why why would you be writing about how we how we know who to trust, how we know who not to trust? Well, I'll tell you, I've spent the last twenty three years prosecuting the exceptions to the harmless stranger rule. And in so many cases over the years, what we see is it's precisely because of social norms and the reality that most people are good. 
that we tend to extend the benefit of the doubt to those who are not. Yeah. So years ago, I thought I would do you know some in, some supplemental research to corroborate the anecdotal evidence I already had over the decades of prosecuting these cases to really show people, you know, there are certain red flags that you can look at uh, in the grand scheme of things when you look at all the interactions you have to decide whether or not every stranger you meet is deserving of the trust that we extend to these people. So true. Statistically, people are safe, right? So when you look at the numbers, overall, the people around us are relatively safe. So what are the red flags that we should be paying attention to? And, you know, it, it's a great question because I just want to start with as, as many years as I have this job, people say, aren't you jaded? Aren't you skeptical? Aren't you paranoid? What I've learned in, in being a prosecutor for all these years is that most people are good and most strangers are safe. So let me talk about a couple of exceptions to the rule red flags wise, which is what, what, I, what I look at. Um, one of the things we worry about is somebody that's boundary probing in public. In other words, somebody asking for more information than they're entitled to. Hmm. We live in a day and age where it's almost inconceivable, especially in a crowded place, that somebody would need to borrow your phone. Think about what you've got on your phone nowadays. You've got the pictures of your loved ones, your kids, your financial information. There are just too many other safe options in most public areas nowadays than a stranger wanting to take your phone and make a call. Yet I can't tell you how many cases I've seen, both in my own practice and in research, that strangers are willing to share their most intimate details with somebody they've never seen before. Mm. I would say it's also a red flag when you have an able-bodied stranger wanting you, particularly if you're a smaller, um, petite woman, somebody with kids, wanting to ask you for help where there are so many public options available, information desk, security guard, uh, you know, transit officers on the trolley, the train, the bus stop. We look at these things as red flags because it's an unnecessary request. Now, I, I get it. People sometimes are helpless. They would rather ask a fellow passenger or a stranger then go to law enforcement, then go to security. But it's just something that should make your antenna rise when you do have these kinds of requests from strangers. Because as I said at the beginning, not all strangers are safe. The exceptions to that rule have kept me and my colleagues in business for 23 years. So <laughs> yeah. and I'm sure I'm, I'm not going to be out of a job anytime soon. And, and I guess, boy, I didn't think of that. But, but just the simply, they're trying to en- endear you and get you helping them. And, and I guess that takes your takes your eye off your personal belongings, but it also somehow makes you feel an, an affinity for them because you are serving them. It's true. And let me pick up on your use of the word affinity. You know, one of my, my absolute um, heroes in the threat assessment world is Gavin DeBecker. And in his national bestseller, The Gift of Fear, he talks about the concept of force teaming, that you use the word affinity. That's what this is about. For example, you've got two people taking a bus and, you know, the bus breaks down and one stranger says to the other, oh, great, how are we going to get home? That's an example of force teaming. There, you shouldn't automatically be on a team with somebody simply because you find yourself in the same predicament. Now, sometimes force teaming is fine. Sometimes it's great. You know, um, there's safety in numbers, but you just don't know the safe, you know, who is and isn't safe in that kind of a scenario. And you shouldn't be obligated to all of a sudden be bonded with other people 
whether or not they're safe. So many times they are. Most of the time they are. But I have seen terrible things happen when somebody automatically says, okay, you and I now are a team. I don't know you. I've never seen you before. It's the middle of the night. It's a dark alley. That's not necessarily the best course of action when you have alternatives. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, too, if they're insisting it, right? So if they insist upon it, you, you talk about that's a major watch out. Absolutely. You know, there's a difference between offering assistance, and we all love that. I mean, when somebody, you know, says they're going to put my bag into the overhead compartment on an airplane, I say, oh, thank you. God bless you. (laughs) But if somebody were to insist on carrying my bags to my car or up to my condo or something that would require me to grant them access to my personal space, that's different, particularly when we've said no. I would always say be wary of any stranger's uh, insistence when they start their sentence with, oh, come on, I insist. That's a problem. It's kind of like somebody trying to almost grab your bags out of your hand and insist on carrying them to your car when you exit a grocery store. I've seen that happen, and I've seen very negative outcomes come from that degree of forced insistence. Do we? Are we just too... Naive? Are we just too accepting of the fact that there isn't anybody out there to hurt us? And it, would we, would we have a better uh, shot at life by assuming somebody does want to? And we don't want to turn you know, people we, negative, but we also don't want to be naive. Right. It's not paranoia; it's preparedness. There is absolutely no reason to believe all strangers are dangerous because the statistics don't bear that out. Nor does common sense or or pra- the practicalities of human life. But it's just looking for these out-of-the-ordinary boundary-probing behaviors that should always raise red flags because most safe strangers do not desire to penetrate your personal boundaries. Social norms are against it. So it is the rare case that somebody insists on, for example, carrying a stranger's bags up to her apartment, out to her car. Those are the exceptions to the rule, and those are the instances where preparedness should take over, and a strong, firm, loud no should be all that that stranger needs to decide you are not worth it, if they, if they in fact, do have nefarious goals in mind. Um, most common decency and, and requests from safe strangers do not raise red flags because they are in line with social norms, uh, helping put somebody's bag up into the overhead container in, in an airplane. Those kinds of things are expected. They're safe. They're social. And those are not the kind of things that should raise red flags. It's mm. the exceptions to those rules that we worry about. And in your book, Red Flags, um, you, you do talk about the fact that the you call it the open nook. I guess it's. I mean, oh, yeah. talk about that because I mean, we some people we just are an open book, and uh, <laughs> and it creates problems. You, you you need to you need to keep some of your personal stuff quiet. Yes, TMI, as my college students would say, too much information. You know, it used to be the case, uh, and we we may be too young to remember this, but the the strangers on the train phenomena was something that was very real. And this was the case where before the age of social media, people opened up to those that they expected, never expected to see again. Um, And the strangers on the train stood for the proposition that many people felt comfortable discussing some of their deepest life details on a train um, because they knew they'd never see the person again. And there was no way to connect with them online. And I use that example because nowadays, if you dared reveal too much information to a stranger in that setting, you would expect to be tagged, friend, and followed. Yeah. <laughs> Almost before your conversation was over, there'd be a selfie you took together, posted on Instagram, and it just wouldn't be, you wouldn't have the same degree of safety or comfort 
opening up to that extent. That's why I call it the open nook. We don't even read books anymore. But we live in a digital age where things go viral so quickly that it always is a good idea to to really think through how much personal information you feel comfortable revealing to somebody you've never met before because you just never know. You cannot tell by looking whether or not somebody is safe or whether their thinking and their degree of transparency is far greater than you would be willing to share. Mm. Well, and too about our kids as well, right? I mean, because we could so easily on Facebook expose our children, their names, so much information without even paying attention. That's right. And, you know, I, I always want to encourage your listeners to make sure you understand how the Facebook privacy settings work and you understand how easy it is for friends of friends of friends to be able to see the information that you post. A misunderstanding of the Facebook privacy settings has led to so many problems when people don't understand the extent to which people so far removed in the friendship network will have access to the information they post. They wouldn't post as many personal details about their children, many of them wouldn't, if they understood that. So the good thing about sites like Facebook and even Twitter and LinkedIn and all of the rest, they do post their privacy settings. So with a little bit of reading, maybe a lot of reading, at least you're able to understand the extent to which you're sharing information before you do so. What do we do if somebody has got their foot in the door, if they, if they, you know, if they are in a position with us where they're gathering more information, uh, maybe even, you know, understanding or, or getting into or past our boundaries, what, what do we do to get out? Yeah, the, the, you know, the foot in the door should lead to the door in the face sometimes. See, you know, people know they're pushing their luck in many instances, but we are just too conditioned to mind our manners that sometimes we allow them to continue to have access. It is too easy to unfriend, to have somebody, you know, unfollow. There's all of these ways to shut down those social media channels, that, and many people do it. And thankfully, many of the sites don't provide a, a notification to those that have been unfollowed, unfriended, unlinked. You know, many people are afraid of retaliation, but most sites don't let anybody know. It's just a good way to establish, or I should say reestablish, a boundary you should have put up stronger at the beginning to make sure that only those with whom you, you choose to share information can see it. Boy, we really are. It is. We're, we're, we go for nice and kind of the old historic, you know, be nice, except this may be somebody that's that's trying to do harm. It's true because some predators prey on politeness. You know, everybody knows that everybody wants to be nice, but it's making sure that you can be very nice, very polite, but your your boundaries should always remain and your personal life should always remain personal because even a little bit of information may be too, may be too much given all of the ways that somebody with nefarious motives can then follow up and gain access to your private information. That's what you want to protect. Absolutely. Well, Wendy, we appreciate you and uh, highly recommend the book Red Flags, How to Spot Frenemies, Underminers, and Toxic People in Your Life. I mean, really, folks, it is about uh, maybe going on the going on the on the offense on this. Start looking. Start trying to see it. Don't just assume everyone's bad, but start knowing what the signs are for those that are that are trying to cross the boundaries and get too much from you. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends. 
friends to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hey, it's time for empty news, my friends. This is the news that uh, you may not have even known you needed to know. But it's the news that we're going to give you anyway. Empty, not because it has nothing in it, but because it's Matt Townsend news. It's the one that, uh, you know, these are the stories you can take home to mom. Share with the friends at dinner. The MT News Team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. <laughs> I don't know why I laugh every time at that. That little apple bite just gets me. First on the new, uh, first on the scene, though, always. Fifth on the facts. Uh, in Vermont, police say he robbed the same store twice in a week. But the second time, they caught up with him. Police say Ryan Mulligan, 25, robbed a convenience store Monday evening with a knife. They say he ran off with the cash. When police caught up with him, they say Mulligan had a wad of money in his front pocket. And he was arrested later and admitted robbing the store. They say he also admitted to robbing the same store about a week earlier. Well, with a name like Mulligan, you know nothing's going to come, nothing good is going to come of that. Mulligan, you know, it's interesting too because I wonder if he just would have been fine if he just robbed it once. Maybe we don't rob the same store twice. Maybe that's the rule. Rob me once, shame on you. Rob me twice, shame on me. With a wad of cash in my pocket. Yeah. I love grandma's old wives, uh, st- old wise statements. Um, also, a wonderful story about a hunt in Florida. They tried hiring professionals. It didn't bring them any luck. They tried training people to compete in a big roundup. They even brought in tribesmen from India. Now Florida wildlife officials who want to rid the state of invasive snakes are trying something even more offbeat. Prizes for anyone in the public who picks up a python. I mean... Picks it up and brings it in. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission announced Monday that it's launching a python pickup program. Triple P, we call it, in which anybody who captures a python in the wild can simply submit a photo of the snake he or she caught in order to win. Each amateur snake catcher gets a python pickup t-shirt and is entered into a drawing for prizes that include snake handling gear, custom engraved thermoses, storage containers, GoPro cameras, and a high-end backpack. What would it take for you to pick up a snake and take it in? I'd never do it. Not for any amount of money or any number of t-shirts? No, snakes are gross. Really? Yeah, not pick them up. I mean... If I had to pick one up, I would pick one up. But I wouldn't I would not intentionally c- compete in this activity. Hmm. I'm not going to go snake wrangling for a t-shirt. Don't get me wrong, I love a good t-shirt. And who you, doesn't? You love a good wrangling too. <laughs> I totally do. I love a good wrangling. By the way, next month's prize won't just be t-shirts, it includes a $100 gas card. But you can you can see some people in Florida might be thinking, "Hey, not only do I get to get some clothes to wear, but I also get free gas. I could dominate this thing. See, they figured out a good formula. Now, only if United Airlines had upped the ante, then they would have had some takers on that offer. It's so true. It's so true. Maybe they ought to add a little uh, a little Python wrangling to a United Airlines. Flight. That's what they should have done. They should have released a Python and saying, now who wants to get off the plane? <laughs> That's it. You would have cleared the place. Cleared it. Okay, so in fact, it reminds me of all of these snake movies we've been hearing, right? Mm, yeah. What was the last one? We Was it Snakes in a Tent? I don't remember. No, 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 no. Uh, this one was actually, I've got it right here. It's Snakes in a Car. 
I have had it with these mother-loving snakes in this monkey-fighting car. Take that, snake. Now you history. Wow. I think the next one is actually going to be called Snakes in the Oval Office. Really? Why? I'm just I, that's just what I heard. Have you heard that? I read. There's it. a snake problem there. Yeah. You know, a lot of snakes in Florida. A lot of snake stories. So this one, I'm pretty sure, snake in a car was out of Florida. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. I don't like snakes. I'd rather – I prefer Sasquatch. Sas- Satchmo? No, Sasquatch. Oh, I see. Uh, I prefer Satchmo. Police in Ohio are on the lookout for Bigfoot after a gift shop owner reported the statues of the hairy creature vanished from her store. What? Arlene Fitzer says the three hand-painted concrete statues disappeared from Farmer's, Farmer Dave's gift shop between Monday evening and Tuesday morning. Fitzer's suspects say that they were stolen – or she suspects, sorry, that they were stolen, but says that uh, they, it would have been difficult to lift and hide. These things are really heavy. The statues are about three and a half feet tall. Uh, one is about two and, a, two and a quarter feet tall. And, you know, the third one's just a little baby Bigfoot. But they're heavy. They're heavy things. They range in value from $55 to $155. So please keep your eye out for Bigfoot on the lamb. I mean, nothing worse than losing your Sasquatch. Well, losing my Satchmo album Why is pretty bad. Why do you keep bad. going to Satchmo? Who doesn't love some Louis Armstrong? I love him to death, but it has nothing to do with the story. Give me a kiss to build a dream out, and my imagination will have upon that kiss. You done? Not a fan, huh? I'm a total, I'm a total fan. I'm a total fan of Louis Armstrong. Well, I just played a clip of him right there. Uh, I think not. That was not a clip. That was <sighs> sad. In a good way. Uh, ooh, sorry, everybody. Sorry. Sorry. Forgot. Forgot. Sorry. Sorry. Forgot. You love Jeff's. No, they love Satchmo. I love Satchmo. Which is Satchmo. exactly what we gave them. I I think you got Satchno right there. All right, then I guess we'll have to end it on that. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how to put your marriage first, how to make a date night work with a blogger on a a website called A Prioritized Marriage. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You know, we should always strive to make our marriage a top priority no matter what life brings. Constant communication, intentional quality time, laughter to keep us focused on building our relationship with each other. Marriage can be the most important relationship in your life and needs constant care and attention. Here to share with us some of her ideas and experiences is Amberly Lambertson, co-author of the uh, the blog prioritizedmarriage.com. Amberly, thank you for being with us today. 
Thanks for having me, Matt. This is fun. So you you have a background, a, a degree in family studies, and you're now working to get your certification as a family life educator. Talk to us. How did you get uh, the idea to start a blog on marriage? Uh, you know, when I first got married, um, I just started kind of like everyone else. I started like a blog just to share the fun things that my husband and I were up to. Um, and then I just started to have a real passion for uh, date night and making my marriage a priority and everything like that. And so it kind of turned into just sharing my experiences with other people. And um, as I started getting a degree in family studies, sharing the things that I was learning through my education and um, sharing that passion with other couples and hoping they would feel the same way as I did. That's pretty cool. Now, are you doing it? Do you do the blog with your with your husband or who, who's helping you on the blog? So the blog is mostly me. He's done a few posts on there as well, but it's mostly me um, just sharing from my personal experiences. That's <laughs> Of good. course, he he agrees to be part of <laughs> my stories that yeah, I share. But. Part of your experiment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reality is it's a pretty – I think it's a pretty important idea myself. I love marriage and relationships. Um, one of the things I know you, you talk a lot about is your, are your date nights – and I, I didn't know this, but um, this is this month. I guess is uh, of May is date your mate month, and yes, so, so and talk about that. Yeah, so it's date your mate month, and and I just found out about this also a couple a couple years ago. I don't remember how I found out about it, but I thought that's really fun. Like it's become one of my favorite holidays, and it just gives me another opportunity. Obviously, I try to make my marriage a priority every day and find some way to be intentional about that, but it just gives me another opportunity to really focus on that. And so this month I'm trying to encourage couples to not only make date night a priority, like a regular date night, whether that's weekly or monthly going out together or whatever works for them, but also to just like date each other on a daily basis. Um, like when you were, I don't know, when I was dating my spouse um, back, uh, let's see, we've been married almost six years now. So when we were dating, we were always texting each other. We were constantly sending each other things like, oh, I'm thinking about you, Um, making that relationship, like trying to be, um, I don't know, how do I want to put it, trying to be more intentional with just making each other feel important in each other's lives and um, really pursuing each other, I guess, is the way I would say. So that's kind of my, what I'm trying to encourage couples to do this month is pursue each other on a daily basis, not just go on dates every once in a while, but make it a daily intentional thing. So, because we do, we used to pursue each other like crazy and we couldn't Uh get through, you know, a two hour period without somehow contacting each other. Then you get married, you start having kids, life settles down and, and the pursuit stops, but you're saying keep that fire alive. Yeah, for sure. And not just once you've got kids and you've got finances to worry about and all those other adult responsibilities, I think sometimes your relationship can become very business partnery, I guess I yeah. would say. And just trying to remember that you started as it started as a romantic relationship and it still is a romantic relationship and keeping that alive for the rest of your marriage. Is it um what, what when you get feedback from your your readers um, at uh, prioritizemarriage.com, what do, are they? I mean, I I assume that a lot of them are like, yeah, you know, this it, it, you make it sound so easy, but it's a lot harder than that, Amberly. Do do you sense a lot of people that are distressed, or 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 what are you hearing on your blog? Um, I 
Yeah, that's exactly the kind of thing I hear. People, I'll talk to people about it on my blog, through emails, on social media, and even just in my everyday life. And they, they're like, oh, yeah, that's an awesome goal to have, but it's really hard to do. You know, we've got kids, either young kids that take up a lot of time. We've got jobs. We're in school. Um, we have older kids, and we're running them back and forth from games and all that kind of stuff. So it is hard, and I think people feel like it's just kind of overwhelming to try and think about making your marriage a priority sounds like a lot of effort. But I, like, from my personal experience, I know that if you, it is effort, but it's effort that's worth it. Oh, it totally is. And what what do you, for example, your date nights, how do you, how do you mix up your dates? Um, I mean, you, you, one of the goals you're doing right now is kind of the pursue each other every day, make it intentional. But uh, what are some other ways that you've found just on date nights or weekly activities to keep the fire alive? Yeah, so <clears throat> date night, we have a goal right now. We have two little kids, um, two and under. <laughs> so we have a two-year-old or a two year old and an eight-month-old. And so going out on a date, we have to we hire a babysitter if we want to get out without them, and it can kind of be really expensive and time-consuming. And a lot of times one of them will get sick or they're teething, and that kind of gets in the way. So we, we shoot for one out-of-the-house kid-free date night a month. If we can get more than that, then that's awesome. And then we just try to do fun things at home or we go out together as a family. Um, Let's see, what did we do last week? So last week we got milkshakes just after the kids had gone to bed and we'll get milkshakes and watch like a Netflix show or play a game or just sit and talk. Um, We like One of my new favorite things to do early in our relationship, we used to go on a late night walk every single night. We'd go out after 10. And obviously that doesn't really work because we have kids at home. So um, about a month ago, we climbed out our bedroom window and sat on the roof and drank hot chocolate and just talked. And it was like 1030 at night. We were by ourselves, but we had the monitors in the house so we could, you know, hear the kids. So that's, we just try to find those little things that we can do together every day. Sometimes it's like an hour, two hours. Other times it's just 15 minutes of time that we're focusing on each other in their relationship. That's crazy. That's great. It's all fun and games till you slide off the roof. But um, yeah. <laughs> but how fun. I mean, I could actually see doing that. That would be fun. You could even watch the sunset or whatever. You wrote one of your blogs um, in April, middle of April, Why I Miss Our Time in the Newborn Intensive Care Unit. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I think the our our eight-month-old, she was born eight weeks early, eight weeks premature, and we had her in August, so obviously that came with his time in the NICU, and we had a toddler at home. He was 16 months old at the time, um, and it was a struggle. Having a baby in the NICU alone is really emotional. Yeah. Right, every single day, yeah. and it takes up a lot of your time, and your focus is on that little one, and then obviously on our little one at home, um, and I, I just think a lot about it that in that time, like, it was a struggle, but it was so easy to find those things that were the most important. So um, taking the time each day to be with our toddler, so to try and keep his routine on track and spending time with our daughter at the NICU um, was important. But then also we worked, we worked really hard. We had to work really hard to find time for each other because in the midst of all that chaos, it would have been really easy to just focus on this is the stress, this is what we have to do to get through the day. But um I really didn't want, it was only three weeks time, but I really didn't want our, our marriage to be on the back, completely on the back burner for about three weeks time. Um, so I just tried to do little things to, um, 
to really focus on our marriage. So one of the things I would do is I spent the mornings with my toddler and then I would take him to one of our family members' houses and I'd spend the afternoon at the hospital with my daughter. Um, so on our on my way from dropping him off to the hospital, I would take my husband a lunch and it was usually I'd just make him a sandwich really quick and I'd take it to him. It took me an extra 15 minutes, but it was worth it. I got to see him for a couple minutes and let, it was just a gesture of love. Um, and then obviously he wanted to spend time with our daughter in the NICU after um, work. And so I try not to take away from his time with her, but we would always step out of her um, her room and go across the hall to the parents' uh, little area or go back to our room and we'd just eat dinner together. And it'd be just half an hour and we'd eat dinner together. Hmm. And then, um, believe it or not, we still went on date night while we were in the NICU. So we had the best babysitters with those nurses. So we, yeah. We we went to dinner one night. Um, another week, we ordered pizza to the hospital and just watched a movie in our room. So, but I just think back on that time and how easy it was that like work wasn't getting in the way because they understood that our family was the most important priority, and it was easy to just say no to all those other responsibilities. And that's I think that's not always the easiest to do when people see work and church responsibilities and neighborhood, you know, things they've got to do that. Um, are important to them that sometimes it's easy to let those things get in the way but that's great and, that and, and and a struggle that you didn't ask for that you you know you was kind of just thrust upon you and with your baby and yet you turned it into something that that actually fed it sounds like all of the relationships and it's interesting too how a tragedy or a, or a struggle in our lives can allow us to reprioritize everything and put our most important things first yeah, exactly. And those struggles can either make or break us. And you you can decide whether you're going to let them take over and, you know, run the show or whether you're going to take it and make it a positive experience Absolutely. for you and your marriage and your family. Yeah, you. Um, it's a great lesson there. You also have a wonderful pod or a blog uh, um, entry about how not every date night needs to be something exciting and adventurous. You could just even, you know, have a cleaning party together. Yes, we do that often. We turn on 90s pop music and we clean our house. <laughs> it's it's not the most glamorous, but it's, it's rewarding. I feel so much better when I have a clean house and it's just doing something together. So it doesn't have to be, you know, big expensive dinner out and dress up and and hours out on the town. It can just be something fun at home. And like I said, we'll, we'll sit and drink hot chocolate on the roof or we make skillet cookies and just sit and talk or just something simple, um, just making that intentional time together. Well, like, I mean, when the house is a little messy and it's causing tension anyway, what's it might be really good to get on the same page and spend the next hour totally cleaning the house. How cool... Could that be if at the very end when we're clean, we also have the satisfaction of knowing we did it together, and now let's go enjoy our life? Exactly. And my husband will tell you that I am a much happier person when my house is clean. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think yeah. I think my wife is too. It's it's kind of a sad thing. But um, it's such <laughs> an important thing. Well, man, we appreciate all of this, Amberly. This is great insight. And you have an ebook on your site as well. Do they just go to a prioritizedmarriage.com and they can find it there? Yeah, you can find it there, or um, it, there's a way to get to it on that, um, just on the main page. There's a shop page, or you can just type in a prioritizedmarriage.com um, backslash ebook, and that'll take you right to the page for that ebook. 
Good stuff. Well, uh, Amberly, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Wonderful, uh, wonderful ideas, folks. Remember, even the tragedies or the not the tragedies, but the difficult times of our lives that uh, maybe you weren't expected could also be a time to reprioritize family as well as the great lesson of maybe you do a little date night that clean, just get a little cleaning done, get a little yard work done, get working together on uh, – you know, on your flowers or your garden, what have you. We will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're just going to – oh, that's right. We, we're not going to be able to take a break. So what we're going to do is instead um, get to a little bit more of the empty news. And uh, we're going to have, uh, I think, McKenna come in. And McKenna's going to come in and do a little bit of a – we call it McKenna – a mind bender, we call it. McKenna Bouse will be with us in a few minutes. Um, but I wanted to tell you this story. So we've talked about the mere fact that um, – uh, Florida's got a, a Python problem, right? But a Florida man used his neighbor's Wi-Fi to make bomb threats. If if you uh, if you need, think about it. If, if you need to make a bomb threat and you're going to uh, and you're going to like set yourself up for problems, I guess you borrow your neighbor's Wi-Fi to do it. Authorities have arrested a Florida man accused of using his neighbor's Wi-Fi to send bomb threats on Twitter. Investigators said Terrence Upham, 43, parked outside of his neighbor's house Sunday and then connected to a man's Wi-Fi. The network was not password protected. The news station reported deputies report that Upham then tweeted bomb threats that targeted a Pasco County government building, among other locations. In a series of profanity-laden posts, no explosives were found, and the deputies uh, warned people to protect their Wi-Fi networks. Yeah, you got to... You really have to uh, – we, we've talked about this on the show a bunch. you got to protect your Wi-Fi. That's just rude. Why couldn't he have gone to McDonald's like all the rest of us? Yeah, that's an You always see people point. at McDonald's that have no food. Yeah. They just have their or laptop. Starbucks. They like have their whole business set up there at McDonald's. Well, he probably didn't want the video camera that mm. would be accompanied at a McDonald's or a public place like that. He didn't need witnesses. But anyway, just know they caught him. And not only did they catch him, but now everybody knows you need to tighten up your Wi-Fi. But if you don't have password protection on your Wi-Fi, folks, it's probably time you do that. Now in studio, McKenna Baus joins us. Baus in the house, we call it. She's a. We like uh, to infer she's a mind bender. She can take your brain, bring us some of the latest and greatest research, and and make your brain bend into new ways of thinking. Is that what your goal, McKenna? That is the goal indeed. So uh, what are you, how are you going to bend our minds today? So what I'm talking about today is this sort of new approach to helping people get access uh, to in vitro fertil- fertilization and just fertility treatments yeah. in general. Because they're expensive. And they're expensive and just sort of some of the ethics yeah. behind the way that whole industry is working right now. Ooh, Okay. Because I mean, I know people that have spent ten, fifteen thousand dollars trying to have a baby, and not to have any success. I've had others that spent ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and the next thing they they know, they have triplets. Yeah, so there can be huge payoffs, yeah. and I mean, for a family, you know, parents or you know, potential parents who really want to have a kid, that's something that, understandably, you can see why it'd be very. Hard to put even you know a price on it because right. it's something so so valuable yeah. to to individuals. Um, but again, it is just this enormous amount of money um, that 
you know, makes it accessible only to some. There's a lot of people who just simply can't afford it, and it's not an option. Right. Um, though there are even some, you know, places here in the U.S. that are doing this whole thing where it's like, okay, if you pay an even greater amount of money up front, you know, then if it doesn't work, we refund it. But if it does work, you still pay that oh, higher wow. amount. And so there's sort of this, like, lottery gamble kind of thing going on there. Like, Interesting. Well, if it doesn't work, I don't lose all my money. But I'm also out a lot more huh. should it work. And so kind of like a money-back guarantee. Yeah, a money-back guarantee vitro. on your in vitro, um, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It still, again, has that really high price tag. So people who still don't have a lot of money to begin with, right. it's still inaccessible. Um, but there is this particular doctor in um, New York City. He is really, really famous. Um uh, his name is Dr. Uh, John Jong, and he is doing this whole thing um, sort of to help promote, he says, National Infertility Awareness Week, um, where he is holding a lottery to give away 30 in vitro fertilization treatments. And so that's wow. roughly a million dollars. So he's going to give it away. Mm-hmm. And you just got to. Get in the lotto. Yeah. And so women aged 43 and under are eligible and it doesn't cover the drugs that are involved. And that's still really, really expensive. Um, And so, again, not accessible to everybody still, but more accessible. Yeah. Um, But it just sort of raises that whole question again of like we're having to do lotteries in order for people to be able to have children. Interesting. Yeah. And Um, it makes you wonder like what – what responsibilities should insurance companies have exactly to make this more affordable or doctors or hospitals or – Exactly. And with this particular um, doctor, you know, it's sort of this big social media thing and people, they have to like submit their names and they can't do it sort of privately because they're going to announce on a Facebook oh, live boy, thing yeah. like, you know, hey, these are the people who've won. And so it's – if you want to get in you know, do it for quietly. it, you can't do it quietly. Oh. And so it's also sort of this like – question of like, well, it's really good that, you know, there are people getting access to this who might not be able to get it otherwise, but also you have yeah. to do it publicly and it's sort of this like business yeah. promoting thing. And it's interesting because he will a lot of times have people come from out of the country to be treated by him. And so he recommends them to real estate agents and then huh. real estate agents will also recommend customers so to it's him. Like this whole marketing this thing. This whole market. That's crazy. But, I mean, I guess, too, you want a baby, so you'll do what you can. Yeah, so where is that line? Yeah, where's When's the line okay? between, like, ethics and marketing? Exactly. Mm. So you just bent our minds there. Thanks, McKenna Baus, uh, helping us see the world a little bit differently. We'll take a break. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number three of the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry and, of course, Jeffrey. The gang's all here. Doing what we can to give you the information, the latest and greatest, to live healthier, happier lives Happy Monday to you. And for many, you're, you're, you know, it's almost lunchtime. So you've already made it through the Monday morning blues if you had it. If not, uh, for some of you, you're just 
on the drive to work. Just know. We're here for you. Anyway, you look at it. Got a great show for you. We're going to be talking with Professor uh, here at BYU, Dr. Brian Willoughby, will be joining us. Why your partner should be your role model. Maybe it's time you let your partner be your role model in uh, these crazy in life because they may maybe they just do a few things that are really good. You know, maybe they're really effective at certain things. It's probably time to 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 hold them up as your role model. I mean, I know Jeffrey has been uh, holding me up as his role model for many a month. And uh, now... Wrong. Okay. Uh, now we have a big announcement that I think now's a good time to do the, the announcement. That you've got a new show that you will be launching on Friday. 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 With Ryan Seacrest. With Ryan Seacrest. He just can't stop working. Yeah, Ryan Seacrest now is going to be... With Kelly, right now, on, right now on Twitter, people are terrified that Ryan Seacrest is coming for your job and your job and everyone's <laughs> job because he can't possibly have more jobs. Ryan Seacrest, that is scary, scary thought. It's not. He doesn't want everybody's job. He does want to be a board operator on the Matt Townsend show, though. Who doesn't? And he'll do the it for free. Extraordinaire. He's a great co-host. So if he's free, maybe we ought to look into that. He's either a robot or he has some sort of device like Hermione Granger had in Harry Potter Part 3 that allowed him to be in two different time planes at the same time or travel back in time or whatever that thing was. Oh, a splitter. I think they call it just a splitter. No. No? No. I thought that was what it was called. Um, so uh, we'll get we'll get to Ryan Seacrest if we can if we can – Get him on the show. Let's try it. I mean, why not? He's doing Ripa now, Kelly Ripa. Yeah, I mean, Kelly and he might be busy during this time, but we can talk to him at any point. He, he seems great. like I mean, what a great pick! If you can get if you can get Ryan Seacrest, why wouldn't you get him? Right. And they done got him. So well, there was the ninety other people she tried out yeah. in the last year. That one of them, like, you know, fan favorites and stuff. And eh, you know, they're Seacrest, but. Yeah. So they went with him, mainly because he brings an audience. All because of Strahan leaving. Yeah. Just because he left her, just kind of high and dry. Well, ABC wanted him yeah. for the morning show, and they handled it horribly and didn't tell her, basically. And yeah. Yeah. That's... That was great, though. It was great to watch for like two days. It was a great little Pretty drama intense thing. little drama. Yeah. Uh, I love daytime dramas. Um we also are going to be talking with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, of course. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Plus, uh, Dr. Uh, Willoughby's uh, work on role models with your partner. And, of course, a hero story, plus some other information, some of which may be important to you. And, uh, you know, some of which may not. The show's full. We're full of it. <laughs> we are going to now get to the headlines with Terry South. Find out from Terry what's going on that we need to be worried about, Terry. Police in New York have revealed that a woman shot at close range during a robbery survived after a bullet was slowed down by her purse. Officers said a man ran up to the 39-year-old woman in a street in Brooklyn wow. and demanded that she hand over her car keys. When she fought back, the man fired at her with the pistol. Uh, the Daily News says that the bullet passed through the woman's purse, wallet, and clothes but stopped short of hitting her body. The man then stole her car. Police later found him nearby, and they, they recovered the vehicle, arrested him on attempted murder charges. So the, the bullet went through her purse, her wallet, 
her clothes, and then stopped. Her hand sanitizer. Yeah, just took out the purse. But. See, this is why guys don't ever make fun of how big your wife's purse is, because it very well could shield you from bullets. It could. Boy. They're, sometimes they're heavy enough, so who knows. Elon Musk's SpaceX launched a spy satellite for the National Reconnaissance Office on Monday. Its first contract work for the government, the Orlando Sentinel reports, the Falcon 9 rocket returned to its landing pad after putting the satellite in orbit. So it went up, it came back, just like it's supposed to. Hey, worked. A couple weeks ago, everyone went nuts. It was the most awesome thing ever. Now, kind of commonplace. He did it before. Previously, the U.S. only had one such uh, contract with United Launch Alliance. According to experts, it's good for national security because if one company has an issue, the government has a spare. They have another company they can go, and we can continue to have access spare to companies. An English policeman wearing a gorilla costume while crawling the London Marathon has finally finished the race almost a week after starting. Metropolis, uh, Metropolitan Police Officer Tom Harrison, who goes by the name Mr. Gorilla, raised a reported $33,000 for gorilla wow. organizations, which is dedicated to co- uh, conservation of uh, gorillas in Rwanda and Uganda, so he's doing it for a cause. The 41-year-old Londoner started the 26-mile route last Sunday, crossed the finish line on Saturday, so it took him six days. He slept at friends' houses in the evenings after completing around 10 to 12 hours and four and a half miles a day. He has swapped between crawling on his hands and knees and up on his hands and feet to save his blistering knees, but he crawled for 26 miles. That's one crazy gorilla. Kind of dedicated to the cause. Yeah. A German police uh, came to the aid of a pizza courier who crashed his car in southwest Germantown by completing his delivery for him. The AP reports that the 46-year-old driver hit another car early Saturday after failing to yield. Both drivers acquired hospital treatment. Accident caused an estimated $22,000 in damage. The pizzas were still hot, and they were close to where they were meant to end up, so we simply completed the delivery, the police said. Police said that after uh, dealing with the accident, the officers were able to hand over the shaken but still edible pizzas to the customers. (laughs) That was close. Pizza made it, which is really the important thing in that whole case. I mean... You got to get the pizza there. There's people, there's nothing worse than the expectation you're about to have pizza and the pizza's not showing up. Right. I mean, that's like devastating. So they they saved the day. Wow, that's nice. That really is nice of them. I mean, you don't have to go that far out of your way. You don't have to do such a thing. No, they could have just, what would you do? Take the pizza as evidence? I would just, yeah, I'd probably take the pizza pie back to the... Back to the boys, back, back to the to station. The boys, yeah, and just does it say what flavor or what type of pizza it was? Nope, just pizza. Canadian bacon mm. and pineapple, which we have now established on the show as a staple on your pizza pleasure pizza pie. Mm. I can agree with that as long as you peel off the pineapple first. Okay, mm. whatever. Good to have your family here, Jeff. That's neat. Your family came to visit. Very polite clappers. Your Your mom and dad are very polite clappers. Boy. Again, I set him up. He's got a show now. Yeah. The final hour of the week. It used to be the Matt Townsend show would go for 15 hours. Now it goes for 15 hours. But one hour of the 15 hours is all Jeff talking about movies. Do I get any of that pay that you're getting? No. Since I'm taking an hour away from you? No. But you no. do get your own show for an hour uh, without pay, really. But the neat thing I think about the whole the whole opportunity is that you get to now talk about your movies, which means you don't need to bring up movies the other 14 hours. 
I, I make no promises. A lot of and things. In fact, I can probably promise you that I will continue to do that. Yeah. Okay. But Terry's going to do it, too. Because it, there's a Marvel movie coming out every other month. Yep. Pretty much. This is true. For the rest of the year. That's true. There's also DC Comics mixed in. You guys want to hear a real true life story that will trump any Marvel comic you could ever have? I'm sure we could tie it into a movie somehow, if that's what you're trying to do, get away let's from see, the subject. Let's see. Let's see if okay. you can do it. Uh, a man, 49, has a beach ball-sized tumor removed from his abdomen. It's not a tumor. He just did it. After villagers convinced him he was possessed by a ghost and his family locked him away in shame. This is from India. A 49-year-old man from India, Shyamal Turk, had a 44-pound tumor that used to make him sick after every meal. Hmm. So he couldn't – he would always be sick after the meal and the the family stopped talking to him after a visit uh, to a witch doctor failed to help. Well, when you can't rely on the witch doctor. Yeah. So escape from which mountain. Right. You know, maybe that's it if we're looking for a movie title. Anyway, the poor guy had the tumor removed. He was skinny as can be but uh, survived and 44-pound beach ball gone. Wow. That's great. Now he's back in fighting shape. No movie? Is he eating more? Yeah. It reminds me of the Stephen King book where this guy that's a really large man hits uh, a gypsy with his car and the gypsy places a curse on this man that will – oh, my goodness. That's disgusting. Matt is showing me the picture. Of his stomach. It looks like a pregnant woman's belly. He has a definite Audi there. Yeah. But you know what's great about it? Again, doctors and medicine. Why did they pixelate that, by the way? Well, because that's the tumor. But he was a skinny man. It's a boy. So really what what this tells you, though, is you don't need to throw everybody away just because they have a big belly like this guy. And it's not witches. It's not. it's It's just a bad tumor. Hmm. Take care of it. So we, we, we should all check for tumors. Snip, snip. Doctor took care of it. That's a pretty cool. So before story. you start any weight loss program, check for tumors. Is that what you're saying? Because really, you could I'll, have a you could have an easier process than necessarily you know curbing your diet or trying to exercise. You could just go yeah. in for surgery. Maybe that's what I have. Maybe I've got a tumor. Yeah, don't think so. <laughs> um, I mean, definitely, you might need to go to the witch doctor. Okay, Terry, anything about credit cards? You credit can talk cards. To us yeah. How many do you have? I have one. You have one credit card. Yeah. Jeff? I have one also that how, I use. How many do the average American have, do you think? Uh, 18. No, I, I would say six. Six, Jeff? What do you think? Ooh. The price is right here, by the way. I'm going to say nine. Nine. Two or three. Okay, good. I have three. Really? I do. Now, how many of them are maxed out? Zero. Okay, right. None of them are carrying a balance? Good boy. You've we got a lot of discipline at the end of the month? Let's, you know, you have now, functions well. Now, before I had kids, we would get one when Southwest would offer us free flights. I even did one uh, to get a free pizza one time. Wow. Pizza was okay. That's probably – that's one of the steps here on this article that say you probably want to avoid. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be doing that one. 
But so, so is there a proper number you should have? Um, what it says is if you have so many cards that you can't remember all your accounts, you probably have too many. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, my wife and I, we, we use uh, – like, sh- like they all have different uh, programs. Like you get uh, 10% back or f- – oh, actually, it's more like 2 or 3% back yeah. if you use this for gas, groceries or whatever. Or, or in the spring, it's like home improvement type right. uh, focus that way. So we'll switch – depending on what benefits us, but we only use one at a time. That's smart. Right? And there's some places, like some places only take Visa. Yeah. Some places will take all the cards. Some places only Discover. American Express. And it just depends. But we have all three, and my wife checks them all but every month, but we only use one card pretty much at a time. That's smart. It's a smart way to – do you I mean, get miles? Like I'd be going for miles. There's no miles. We don't really travel a lot that way, yeah. but we, we – I went to Amazon and they have some deals with credit card companies and they give you a bonus. And I was able to buy my entire son's birthday on with the bonus. bonus. I didn't have to spend any cash. It was this bonus program they have. Because we cow. never spend the bonus because they're like, eh, whatever. And yeah. it kind of builds up after a while. But what, what, what the, the tip is, no, it's not really, a, I guess, too like revolutionary. But if you have too many credit cards, you can't remember the accounts, you probably yeah. have too many credit cards. Right. And you need to back off. But at the same time, you need to have – it helps to have a credit card and use the credit card if you're going to build your credit history and build your credit score. Right, you got to get your score up. Because it's not about never doing something. It's about always doing it and then being responsible with it. That's yeah. how your credit score gets higher. Ugh. And so I... you ha- if you have multiple cards, it actually looks better because it looks like you're doing things with your credit, but you also have to pay it off. And you, you, if you carry a, a balance that way, it usually ends up – they actually want you to carry a balance. Yeah, of course. It's business, right? Of course. But if you pay it off, like my wife and I do, it, 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 it can actually elevate your uh, score because it shows you're responsible with both your money. Mm. Right? So it's it's difficult that way. But just the idea that the average American has two or three different credit cards in their wallet, and sometimes if you can control yourself, then it's a good idea. You have different options. But if, if not, the best way to go probably is just to have one. Just have one. That's what and, we do. We can't control ourselves. And try not to, try not to go nuts with it, yeah. as people do. And it would be nice, like my children, my son-in-law, daughter, they they just went on a trip with their miles. They pay everything with one credit card, pay it off every month, mm-hmm. one credit card, but it gets them Sky Miles, and they even run their businesses through that card and it or other cards that, that get them Sky Miles. And that's one thing to watch out for is the ongoing benefits of the card. We talked before about yeah. how many miles the credit card companies they buy. Uh, air miles from air airlines and they're able to use those as benefits for their customers yeah, right. and those if you do travel that could be an added benefit for you then yeah then you're living large it's almost like yeah you're you're not just poor you have sky miles that come from your credit cards see now you're now you're poor but you have sky miles but if uh, like i was talking about if the credit card gives you three percent back at gas stations two percent at grocery stores that could end up in your favor if Absolutely. you use it for those reasons see Speaking Great of advice. living large, would you describe it as larger than life? I'd, I'd describe it about a 45-pound beach ball. Because uh, Larger Than Life was a film starring Bill Murray where he inherits an elephant. And uh, imagine <sighs> the hilarity that ensues. Well, you know what? Let's put that on your show at the end of the week. No, I think that's that one was better a better fit for the Matt Townsend show. <laughs> you snuck it in again, didn't you? Just always sneaking it in there. Well, this Friday, just so you know, Jeff Simpson's going to be doing Media Hour. Uh, I don't think we've announced the name of it yet. We'll get to that. We'll save that during the week. Just keep listening. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. 
Up next, we're talking about uh, why your partner should be your role model with Dr. Brian Willoughby. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Brian Willoughby, who's an associate professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. And uh, he researches uh, and focuses on young adult dating and relationship patterns with specific areas of expertise in dating, sexuality, cohabitation, marriage formation, and marital attitudes and beliefs. Dr. Brian Willoughby, you can find out more um, on his website, drbrianwilloughby.com, drbrianwilloughby.com. Brian, good to have you back, my friend. Good to be here. Today you're talking about um, why your partner should be your role model. Now, what do you mean by this? Because I thought we were supposed to be equal and just perfectly equal. Yeah, so there's it's based on this nice fancy scholarly term we have out there called idealistic distortion. Yes. Um, And... And you're right, because usually we think about relationships as I want to be equal partners. I want to see myself as an equal to my spouse. We want to do everything. Everything has to be fair and equal. Exact. Yeah. Um, and and the, there's some research out there that suggests that that's certainly the case when we act about when we think about roles, what we do in the family, and how we designate kind of what happens in the household. But this is about how we think, kind of our perception hmm. of our spouse. And 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 we we have some research that suggests that when we have this slightly Distorted, right? That's what the word says. Yeah. Distorted view in the positive of our partner. And we think about our partner as a role model that might have some actual benefits to the Oh, interesting. Because we, we may think – we may overdo it though too, can't we? Right. Yeah. Like, and we'll probably – we'll get into that. There's, there's this fine line yeah. of balance. You but there's a benefit far, to it But too. there's a benefit to doing this a little bit. What's here. the benefit of seeing is – it, is it seeing my wife – not just as a whole better, but just in traits. Is that what it is that we that we idealize their ability to socialize? Mm-hmm. It's it, it's this. If you think about role models, just growing up, right? Many of yeah. us when we grow up, we had our role models, whether it was a sports hero right. or someone in the community. It's someone we looked up to. It's someone we wanted to be like someday, mm-hmm. right? That's what a role model is when we're little. It's I want to be like that person right. when I grow up, um, and. If you think about role models in that way, one of the things that a role model does is it motivates us to be a better person. And that's what we think one of the benefits of of this type of thinking is, is that when we have someone that's in close proximity to us, which is hopefully what our spouse is, someone that we interact with every single day, we're around every single day. If that's someone that motivates me to be a better person, Hmm. that's going to help not just my relationship, but it's going to help me in the long run. Right, right. So that's, that's, that's powerful. And so you, you would use this idea of kind of making them a role model as a motivational device. That's right. Yeah. It's I, I want to be like my spouse. And, hmm. and, and again, usually it's not necessarily going to be in every single way. Yeah. But maybe there's certain things about my spouse that I, I do idealize, that I really look up to what they do in terms of how they interact with other people, how they act with the kids, how they act in their career. And that motivates me to want to be a little bit better. As yeah. a person, I could see that we do this kind of naturally when we're younger in the relationship. But as the relationship goes on, we start to see more of their negatives and we're like, ugh. Right, exactly. Yeah, sometimes it can be harder to do that later in the relationship when we yeah. get kind of stuck in a relationship pattern, when we do tend to sometimes more dwell on the negatives, or yeah. at least we've discovered the negatives because over we didn't know there five were negatives, or 10 years, right. you can't hide everything anymore. 
Um, and so, so this is a process that needs to be an active one for a lot of people. Sometimes I have to be more active if I've been married or in a relationship for, for five or 10 years with someone, I have to be thinking and looking for those things of what are the ways that I look up to my spouse? What are the ways that I can be better by emulating what they're doing? Because there really, there's got to be a lot. Like I've just, we've been babysitting um, our grandchild and I forgot how good my wife is with the kids, like right. with a toddler. Right. Because I, I don't have the patience for it. It's just harder. I'm, I feel like I'm a better, you know, grown-up child right. parent than I am a toddler parent. Yeah. yeah. And it's taking those little moments where we recognize that. Like, oh, wow, I, I didn't remember my spouse was really yeah. good at that. She's so patient. Yeah. And again, it, it, it doesn't just motivate us too, but it also is giving us those opportunities to think positively about our spouse, which is also really important in a right. relationship. Do you – does it – I mean I guess the downside to this would be I overemphasize it. I think she's better than she is and maybe I give her too much credit right. so I don't ever have demands of her. Right. Yeah. There, there's a couple ways where this can go too far um, and you're hitting on one of the big ones, which is if I take this thinking too far and I think that my spouse or my partner can do no wrong – then I'm going to start having unrealistic expectations because hmm. now I'm going to build you up in, in my – and this happens a lot early in relationships yeah. where I think you're perfect for me and you're better than every other boyfriend right. or girlfriend I've ever had in my life. Um, and then you, all of a sudden you do something I don't like or you do something that, hey, I thought you were this great communicator and, and we just had this fight where you wouldn't open up to me. And now that kind of shatters my perception of you. And yeah. So you have to be careful to – and that's why I mentioned before – Oftentimes when this is done in a healthy way, it's about these specific areas of the life that I idealize about you, these certain traits about you that I really look up to and I want to be like you someday. And it's not generalized across everything about you and everything that you do is going to be awesome and perfect all the time. Yeah. What happens if in your marriage you don't – you're not doing this? If you don't see your partner as your role model, Mm -hmm. I mean – there's got to be some negative consequences if yeah. you can't see anything in there right. that you want to yeah. model. Yeah, there's, there's two big things. One is obviously is I'm going to start maybe dwelling on the negative, which yeah. is we don't want to do that, right? Yeah. If we all only see negative in our partner, no one wants to be in that relationship. Right. No one wants to be with someone that you think is, is making all these mistakes. The other negative thing that this can set up, though, is a little bit of what's called a power differential in the relationship, which is if I don't think that you're better than me in anything – then all of a sudden I start to think to myself, maybe even unconsciously a little bit, well, you know, if I'm better at everything, hmm. why are you making any decisions? Oh, yeah. Why, 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 why don't I make most of the decisions? And I'll kind of use you as a resource and kind of tell you what to do. Um, and that can get really negative for the relationship too. And oh, that's yeah. going to lead to the partner kind of feeling devalued as well. What, what is it about me in this relationship? What do I bring to this relationship that Ooh, yeah, you can't do by yourself? Totally. Or you start to shop alternatives like – well, may, right. why didn't I marry somebody that was right. better at me than, at anything? I mean, that seems yeah. crazy. What a waste. Yeah, and that, that's actually one of the things researchers have really talked about with idealized distortion that we think is is really important in the long term is what we look. And, and again, sometimes this gets a negative rap in, in our popular culture of you talk to someone about their spouse and like, oh, my spouse, my, my wife is the most beautiful person on the planet. And you're like, mm-hmm. roll your eyes. Like, yeah, I've, right. I've seen her. <laughs> yeah. She's not. Um, but – but if you actually think that to yourself, even if it's not true, again, that's the distortion. Um, like you said, that that helps me stay committed in some ways, that that I'm not going to be looking around around the corner on the, on the other side of the lawn and saying, hey, you know, that, that person's a little bit 
looks be- is is more better looking than my spouse or is better than kids with my spouse or is a nicer person than my spouse because I think my spouse is the nicest person that's ever lived mm-hmm. and I think that my spouse is the funniest person that's ever existed on the planet you know again having those kind of slightly distorted views of our spouse can be beneficial when it comes to commitment what happens to social mirror because if I keep telling my wife that mm-hmm. does she live up to it does she start to believe it herself? Yeah. I mean, it can be really positive. But yeah. again, you don't want to take it too far where that right. that spouse feels all this pressure of, wow, I can't make a mistake because of how much you look up to me. Um, but saying those things to your spouse and, and saying, that, you know, I, I think you're amazing. I think you're this great mother. Mm. I think you're this great wife. And I really appreciate these things. Again, we've, we've all been in those situations where we get praise. Totally. It, it tends to not be a negative, right? We don't tend to start acting yeah. mean towards that person. <laughs> That's quit giving praising me. Yeah, quit, quit, quit <laughs> praising me. I'd, I'd really like it if you'd be a little bit more <laughs> so mean. That's true. Yeah. It's so true. So it's, um, it, it's such a subtle thing, isn't it? But mm-hmm. we, it seems like when you were choosing a mate, you would want to choose one that offers opportunities to be a teacher to you to right. grow. So it seems like what we do anyway, but over time, maybe you don't see that role model anymore. Yeah, and and it's funny because what you want to do is actually a little bit of the opposite. And this can be a hard thing if you're doing dating the right way, which is when you're dating someone, you want to kind of have the critical eye on, the yeah. lens on a little bit, right? You want to be yeah. kind of thinking about what is this person going to be like in the long term? What do I like and don't like? I want to be very open with myself about their weaknesses. Right. Because I have to ask myself not – that anyone's not going to have weaknesses, but are these weaknesses I want to deal with for yeah, the rest of forever. my life? Mm-hmm. But then once you commit to someone and once you marry someone, then you need to kind of recalibrate and say, okay, I've made a decision. I've accepted these weaknesses. Now I need to shift gears and focus just on the positive. Mm. And kind of glaze over the negatives. Yeah, Although, again, in. not that you're ignoring those. No, You might have to deal with those and work on those. Um, but now I'm overemphasizing the positive. Yeah. Right? I might have overemphasized the negative a little bit when I was dating to make sure I was making a good decision for me. Now I want to overemphasize the positive. That's great. And, and it's – yeah, but be critical mm-hmm. early on, which is it, – it sounds like it's actually the opposite of what right. we do. Yeah, it is the opposite of what we do because when we date, we tend to like oh, – you know, Think angels, about the positive. Gifts from heaven. And it's easier to hide the negatives right. when we date and then we get married. And what happens for a lot of us is – we might get a sense of some of those negatives, but we tell ourselves, well, they'll get better yeah, or I'll fix them. yeah. And then when I don't or I'm not able to fix them or they don't get better in my eyes, you know, after we get married, then I start to dwell on those negatives. Mm. Good insight. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Brian Willoughby. Again, go to his website, Brian Willoughby, drbrianwilloughby.com, and uh, you can get more of his information about just his latest and greatest writings as well as a book that he's, he's uh, producing that should be out – In the next few months, I guess we're saying, um, we'll have more. More with Dr. Brian Willoughby and the need and the ability to uh, help your partner be your role model in life. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Dr. Brian Willoughby, Associate Professor in the School of Family Life at BYU here, and uh, is um, has a brand new book coming out, due to be released June 6th. What's the title of the book, Brian? It's called The Marriage Paradox. Ooh. Why young adults or why emerging adults love marriage yet push it aside. 
I like it. Yeah. I love paradox anyway. I know. It's always a fun idea. It's such a great yeah. idea. And it's part of life, right? It it's is. just such a part of who we are. Today you are talking about uh, why your partner should be your role model. Uh, it motivates us, number one, but it also helps us kind of minimize the negatives, maximize the positives mm-hmm. of our partner. Yeah. But one of the things that I, I guess is, is a key to this is we, you don't want to idolize them to the point that, that they're not real, that it's – I mean you don't want to make up stuff. Right. And you don't want to become subservient to a monster. Yeah. And, and sometimes this happens even in abusive relationships to kind of take it to the extreme. Yeah. Um, is whether it's an emotionally or physically abusive relationship is sometimes the person that's being abused will will have this idealistic distortion and, and be using it in a way that creates a really unhealthy dynamic. Like of, he knows everything. Right. He's smarter it, than me. It's hard. I, I tell my students this sometimes when we talk about violence and abuse in relationships because my students' reaction oftentimes is, what? you know, if he hits you, why would you stay? Why would you stay? Right. Why would you stay? I said, well, because you're not seeing the other year sometimes or years between those instances of violence where – there's there's makeups and flowers and I love you and right. all these things. And, and he's such saying, a good whatever. He's such a good guy. Yeah. You know, he's, he's doing all these other things. It's just a couple slip-ups here or there. And so sometimes that, again, that distortion and that, that thinking really positively about the relationship can have us not think about some negatives that maybe we do need to think of. Again, right. when I was talking about you want to minimize the negatives, I'm talking about things like, well, he doesn't take out the trash all the time or I wish he – wasn't quite as quick to anger with the kids. That's not a, well, he hits me every once in a while. Yeah, or, that's a little you know, different. He's got a gambling, or mm-hmm. she's got a gambling thing on the side and we've lost our life savings. That's, you know, those are the <laughs> things you want to, yeah. you know, bring out and talk about and, and work through. Um, and, and so sometimes it can lead to that. And back to the power differential piece too. Again, if I have my partner up on a pedestal, Sometimes, right, we talked about the other way where if we, we, we don't do that some, or if we think that I'm better than you all the time, so that can cause problems. Well, if I think my partner is better than me about everything too, oh, yeah. sometimes I can be a little, like you said, yeah. subservient. Yeah, and you say, just well, turn I, it over. I, I'm going to be just codependent with you and yeah. not make any decisions and not be independent anymore. But you need – so one of the keys to healthy relationships is you need to be independent. I mean it doesn't mean you both need to mow the lawn the same way. Right. But you need to be able to – if he died tomorrow or couldn't take care of the yard, right. you've got to be able to take care of it. Right. Yeah, there's this balance that has to happen. Again, it's it's thinking, you know, I, I really look up to my spouse in this area and I want to be like them and become better. But there's this other area of our life where I, I think I have a skill set that's really beneficial. And again, as we've talked about this several times on the show, ideally in a good relationship, this is happening both ways. Right, exactly. So as I tell my partner, you know what, you're great at this and wonderful at this and I want to be like you, they are reciprocating that and saying, oh, that, thank you so much. And by yeah. the way, you're great at this and I look up to you like this. And that's how we you know, maybe create the rules in our relationship. Mm-hmm. Is it – I guess the the part of the key here, though, is you've you've got to be growing. Both of you have to constantly be growing, and we have to grow together. Right. Yeah. Because then there's this other level of this idealistic distortion. So we've been talking about it, about how I view my partner. Yeah. There's another level of this that's not quite as research, but is certainly there. I think, which is the idealistic distortion of our relationship, hmm. which is our marriage is better than most of these other people. That's yeah, interesting. And again, whether it's true or not. 
just that kind of motivational thinking of, you know, we're, we're doing great. We're doing wonderful. Yeah. Look at all these, you know, we're great at communicating. We're great at working together. We're great with our kids. Even if it's not necessarily true, 100%, because it probably isn't. Right. Just that perception can be motivating and keep you going. And when you have little rough patches or little things you're working on, in the back of your mind, you've got that, well, but we're, we're doing so good and we've been so good. We can get through this. Yeah, yeah. There's hope. It's like it keeps a store of positivity. Right. Mm-hmm. How powerful. Um, and I guess uh, with, the, with the couple metaphor or example of it, you just need to be careful not to take it too far that you're blind. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You, but, you don't want to be one of those couples that's we're so perfect. We don't have right. There's that. It goes yeah. back to the conflict. Is that, again another thing I tell my students is they all have this idea of I don't want to ever fight. Yeah. We've got a couple bad. that's never fought, yeah. fighting and, and we're perfect all the time. You want to fight. Fighting's good for a relationship, right? It, it helps you work on things. It helps you grow. You want to maybe get to the point when you're in your 60s and you've been married for 20, 30 years. <laughs> then you don't fight because you've worked through a lot of yeah, those things. Yeah. We've gone there. Um. But but it's okay to have these weaknesses and realize and, – and again, so sometimes it's not, well, we're so per- – again, you don't take it so far. It says we're perfect and has no weakness. Right. Maybe it's, well, we're so great because look at how wonderfully we work through our problems. Exactly. Right? We have that rough night or two, but we, we talk about it. We work things through and we become stronger. That's cool. Is um, If you had to give us the one thing, what would you say is the one thing we do to foster interdependence in the relationship? Yeah. So I, I think part of it, like I said, comes back to the vocalizing this hmm. and, it, and doing that both ways, that it has to be both partners vocalizing this admiration for their partner, vocalizing this idealistic, idealistic distortion. Right. And sometimes we have this hesitancy when my spouse tells me I'm, I'm the best dad in the world or I'm, I'm so good at this. We, we want to be humble. Right. And say, well, no, 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 that's not true. We don't believe it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's OK to kind of do the humble thing back and yeah. forth. But there's still power, right, in saying, in saying it, it right. out loud. And I think that is probably the, the most crucial first step in this process is just vocalizing that that ideal that I have about you in my head. And saying it, saying a lot of it to you, but, I mean, I could see the power of just saying it to your friends. Yeah. Like if all of a sudden I heard through the grapevine that my wife thought I was great at, about, great at something right. – that's powerful too. Like you're telling people. Right. Now you, you want to be careful about that. So yeah. you're triggering one yeah. of my, my issues here with – because nowadays how a lot of people oh, do that social media. is social media. Totally. And we know we've talked about this, <laughs> that, that that can lead to a lot of problems yeah. in, in some relationships. And no, so, you so you're right. Is, is doing that to other people can certainly boost – my perception and kind of help, but we want to be careful about what that does to yeah. other people sometimes. Because a lot of times at dinner, you might just with dinner with friends, all of a sudden you see your your friends throwing each other under the bus, right? Yeah, like she couldn't, you yeah. know, figure out a tip to save your life, right? And all of a sudden, okay, so that's negative, yeah, uh, idolization there. So, yeah. so yeah, you got the thing is, I guess, voice it, but you may as well be voicing the positive over the negative, right? Anyway. Yeah, if you're going to do one or the other. Voice, Voice positive. positive. And then be careful not to set up your partner for major, you know, backlash right. mm-hmm. on social media. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't, don't, so don't get in the back and forth on social media about who has the best spouse. <laughs> oh, I've seen that. Oh, that's good Good advice there, Brian. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Brian Willoughby is his name. You're going to want to go to his website, drbrianwillaby.com. drbrianwillaby.com. With the new book coming out in June, we'll have him back every couple of weeks. Thanks, Brian. Good stuff. Keep it up. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is that time. It's the time where we get you prepared for the uh, BYU Sports Nation show that tees off in about 12 minutes. Who better to prepare us than uh, the hosts of the show, Spencer and Jerem. Hello, gentlemen. I see what you did there with the golf reference. Nice Sports. Th- nice little tee off. off in 12 yeah. minutes. See, see? <laughs> I thought, oh, I thought that meant ticked off. Oh. Yeah, I thought you guys would be ticked off T-O'd. in about 12 minutes. Yeah. T-O'd. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, what do you think about the draft? BYU, uh, Jamal Williams was drafted. What? Yeah, did you hear? Yeah, he was. Are you fourth serious? round? Fourth round, twenty eighth pick. There you go with the Packers. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Right? Harvey Harvey Longy um, went as a free agent. I guess he did. He we thought he'd be drafted. He was in a lot of uh, mock drafts. Okay, so he here's was the not drafted. He was not drafted. Here's but the he question. went to the Patriots. So winning, winning, totally winning. Oh, that's where we thought he would go anyway, didn't we? Well, we knew they were interested. Yeah, they were like warm for his form. Um, here's the deal. I want to know if because now I don't want to. I'm not here to compare, but um, there's that's another team that's further north in the state of Utah that had a lot of eight, people drafted. Eight draft picks, which is tremendous. Probably, Unbelievable. Got to be a program record. For them. I haven't heard, but but in a way, um, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's it. Seems like to me that's some amazing recruiting, which Kalani Sataki used to be a part of. Yeah. That, so do we sense a change? Do you, do you think BYU will start recruiting differently or better? I don't know. Is, is, is this going to be about recruiting? And what do you think Kalani's going to bring to the Cougars? He's known as a really good recruiter. Well, Kalani recruited a bunch of those guys to Utah, right? Yeah, right. So do you think, do you think this could reverse in the next few years? Sure, I think it'll make an impact, but it will take some years. Yeah, right? let's not expect it this year. It, it's going to take at least two or three years of recruiting. It's been eight years since... Nine next year since BYU's had a multiple pick draft. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that primarily the positions that BYU can get to the NFL are linemen. So I, I totally. think Kalani Satake can dip in on this because Jamal Williams is one of the best running backs BYU's ever had. In fact, he's one of the highest draft picks ever as a running back mm. uh, from BYU. Yeah, he. So, it, so that that was significant. Yeah, and the Cougars have shown. Uh, an aptitude for placing free agents in the league that stick recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have. Daniel Sorensen is a starting safety in the NFL, undrafted. Lonnie Fua is a backup linebacker with the Cardinals, undrafted. Uh, you can do it if you're not half the league, like we talked about last week. Half the league's undrafted. So to be drafted is great, and that is better t- than to be undrafted. Yes. But when half the league is undrafted, it's not the end of the world. No, right. Yeah. I mean, but to have eight yeah. is very significant. I mean, like fourth or fifth in the country—that's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay, here's a, here's a question for you. Uh, you know, the Raiders are going to Vegas, and mm-hmm. did you hear that Tom Hanks is a little frustrated because of the move? He was a Raiders fan, an Oakland Raiders fan, really? so he is now going to have a two-year moratorium on NFL football. He's not going He's to participate. Not much of a fan then. Yeah, how could you how could you turn off NFL football? But he says I'm not going to do it because I I it's, I can't see the Raiders there, so I'm just going to turn off football. Is that the right response? My question is sports dumb. Well, and I don't think that's going to happen either. What do you mean? Well, if he's hanging out with Meryl Streep, it won't be on at her house. I'll tell you. <laughs> Everyone's watching football. Meryl's big into football. Uh, Somebody can yeah. say that the moratorium is in place, but good luck, like. 
putting that into full effect. Yeah, how do you really turn it off? AC Green thinks that kind of TV abstinence is incredible. Really? Mm-hmm. Just, it's impossible. Like, I, I, for if, example, if you I, like football, why wouldn't you watch the NFL even if right. your butt hurt over your team leaving? That's a weird way to put it, but absolutely. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't imagine not watching your show. <laughs> on BYU Radio. Talk about good. On BYU Radio. <laughs> Talk about censoring. We better fix that. Hey, um, you guys are still doing your show thing, right? You're, yes, we are. You're still going to do that. Huh? Yes, I'm not we hurt are. over that. So, um, <laughs> so tell me, tell me what you what, what's on your show that that won't cause pain. Who's the best fit for their team after the NFL draft? Jamal Williams was the lone draftee. Yeah, but there are nine other BYU Cougars who signed an undrafted free agent deal of some sort. Who's the best fit and why? That is mm. the topic of our opening conversation today. Plus, we have Brady Papinga, Super Bowl champion, former BYU linebacker great, and Green Bay Packer to talk about why Jamal Williams going to the frozen tundra is a great thing. Aha! That's huge. And there were nine other BYU Cougars that signed free agent deals, so we will tell you where everybody went, including Taysom Hill and Kainakua and Sai Tautu and all these guys. Plus, Eric Mika got an invite uh, to the NBA Combine, what does that mean? And baseball's now won 15 of 18. Hmm. That's in baseball. That's incredible. Baseball typically the best teams have a win percentage in the 60 percentile. There, that's BYU's great. BYU won 15 of 18. They're the top team in the league right now. Really? And why was BYU football in Harlem? Wow. Where yeah. the- there's a lot. There's oh, a lot there, going there's, on there. There's a lot. Oh, and I, I, the the most interesting one. A BYU team lost at life. We will tell you what that means. Life the game? We'll tell you what that means coming up they in just lost five it. minutes they lost and 48 life. seconds. Holy cow. It's just five minutes and 48 seconds away. Plus, Jeff will not leave me alone about the Dodgers. Did you see the Dodgers game where three home runs in the ninth inning? Madness! Crazy! Yeah. Talk about leaving you hurting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Good show, guys. I can tell again, you've you've been you've really you've focused, you've dialed it in, and now you will again deliver a perfect show. We'll continue to It's what it we out. do. Yeah. In but just we, but you don't five talk minutes. About it. No, no, no. Right. You talk about good. You don't talk about the perfect show. You talk about good. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. Keep it up. Knock it out of the park. Have a great show. Guys, five minutes away, BYU Sports Nation will be uh teeing teeing it off there. So that's I mean, honestly. You got to love that. How would it be, though, by the way, to be, I don't know, to be Harvey Longy going to the Patriots? So if you could go and make it work as a defensive end, I guess he was recruited. Holy cow. So the Patriots, I don't know much about football, so they must be in Philadelphia. No. Because that's where a lot of, you know, historical yeah, patriotic no. things happen. Probably more like uh, Boston area. New England area? Yes. New Hampshire, New England, Boston, that whole fan base right there. And they've they've been winning a lot of Super Bowls. You may have heard of them. Oh, I had a Super Bowl the other day. Uh, I went to uh, Teriyaki Sticks. Yeah. It's a great Super Bowl. Uh, We're talking about different bowl. This is a a big game, a big football game they play. This is – oh, this is football? Yeah. Okay. I mean it's, you know, it's not – it's not good, but I mean, it's great. It's just maybe we shouldn't talk about it. I thought it was really good. Some teriyaki sauce. Yeah. 
White uh, rice. No. Hey, um, one little uh, story that may have eluded some of us. You got to be careful with all these Fitbits that people are wearing. Because they, Fitbits, what are those? They can, this little kind of watch-like device that counts your steps, helps you check your heart rate, it, and, it, and it gathers all this information. But now police are saying that they might be able to use data from a Fitbit to um, com- to fight uh, the, the case, a legal case, against a man that um, apparently murdered his wife. And the story he told doesn't jibe with her Fitbit because the Ooh. Fitbit that she was wearing um, actually shows that the data and the data and the crime didn't take place when he said it took place. Hmm. So they now are able to use other data. So we always talk about Alexa and all of these other devices that people have uh, been gathering data. You know, the Alexa that turns on the digital assistant that people have in their house now. Your Fitbit can be used in investigation, investigations against you. Whoops. Like, so why were you uh, – why did your heart rate go up to this level? You must have been running from the scene. You weren't just – you said you were just sitting watching TV. So why did your heart rate jump from this to this? Well, it was an episode of uh, Game of Thrones. Ooh, something very scary. Yeah. Intense. Because it seems more like you were running around, maybe doing some cardio work. And now we know what caused the murder. You. I'm telling you, data, folks. So it's funny. We just keep strapping on more devices to gather more data about us. And then we wonder, what? how did you know that about me? How did you know I was watching Netflix at the time of the accident while driving my car? Pretty much everybody is watching <laughs> Netflix all the time. You were live streaming. Come on. We can check it out on your phone. Hey, our hero of the day is a hero EMT saves a four-year-old girl who fell from a moving church van. Listen to this. An Arkansas emergency medical technician is being held as a hero after rescuing a four-year-old girl tumbled out of a moving van onto a busy highway on Wednesday. Ryan uh, Ciampoli, 31, said he was riding down a Harrison highway when he saw the back door of a white church van swing open in front of his vehicle. NBC reports footage of the incident captured by Ciampoli's dash cam showed the little girl falling out of the van and tumbling down the road. Oh, it was unbelievable. Once I picked her up and put her in my arms, it was heartbreaking. She uh, just had this horrified look on her face. Nothing hurts worse or makes you feel more sad than dealing with a child, especially holding her in your arms. You're never going to forget that image. He told the NBC News that the little girl was unconscious at first but soon woke up and began calling for her mother. I saw it happen. And it blew my mind. It, it, it's like I wasn't even seeing what I was seeing. As an EMT, Champoli said he had never uh, would never normally move a trauma patient, but he needed to get the child out of harm's way. Obviously, you want to leave her. You don't want to leave her lying there. Um, you know she's in danger, but we're in the middle of the state highway, so I couldn't just have her sit there, or stay there. So he, he carried her away, and uh, eventually Champoli told ABC that the driver of the bus initially didn't know what happened, but returned to the scene about 15 minutes later. The little girl was taken to the hospital where she was treated with a broken jaw. According to NBC, she was later released and expected to make a full recovery. So there you have it. He's the hero of the day, Ryan Champoli. You're the man, the myth, the legend. That's the show, my friends. We'll be back again tomorrow to help you be the good in the world. Until then, make it a great one, and let's take care of each other.